Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and a long, long, long last welcome back to Keepers of the Flame, the classic heavy metal podcast. Goddamn, it has been more than a minute. Um, we were off for, I don't even know how long, maybe half a year. Um, about six months, yeah. About six months, but hey, uh, we are back now. It's the beginning of 2022. Um, why were we off for so long? Well, a uh, multitude of reasons. Um, the world kind of started opening up again, and, you know, we had our band had a new member, and we had to do a lot of work to prepare our, our new bandmate to be ready to go live. And we had to do a lot of work to get ourselves back into game shape because we hadn't really been practicing regularly. Um, we finished a bunch of songs. We wrote, we recorded an EP, which shameless plug will be coming out on February 8th via fighter records digitally and on CD. Um, and also most people in the world and who, who in the heavy metal world know I got shot. Uh, well, we were playing a gig on my 41st birthday in Boise, so that kind of put a damper on the whole, you know, doing anything um, idea of how I like to live my life and do stuff. But, you know, hey, better late than never. Uh, that's a saying someone said. So we are back and we are going to attempt to bring this podcast back on the regular. Maybe not weekly because um, sometimes, you know, uh, we two guys with full-time jobs and bands and music projects and, you know, families and, and pets and live in a city with crazy traffic. And, you know, it's uh, sometimes real life gets in the way. We don't have time, but we're going to be doing probably a couple of months anyway um, because it's fun. And we really didn't realize, uh, at least I didn't, I don't want to speak for my co-host here, but I didn't realize how many people were listening, how many people missed it and how many people started yelling at us to bring this stuff back. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good to be back at it. Uh, we're going to kind of shoot for a leaner, meaner podcast in some ways, but still hopefully with uh, all the bullshit you've come to know and love. Yes, uh, <laughs> just trying to trim it down a little bit from the, you know, two and a half, three hour mark down to maybe, uh, you know, an hour, to, uh, between an hour and an hour and a half. Um, but we're still going to do, you know, in-depth album reviews. We're definitely not going to stop being nerds about um, heavy metal and be way too detailed about how we look into these records because that's what people seem to like but you know we'll cut it down this episode will still probably be a little beefy because this is going to be kind of a double take um we are going to we tried to do this a couple weeks ago um we tried to record our top albums of 2021 because 2021 is now in the books so we wanted to give like a top 10 list of each of our favorite albums of the year that podcast had some real bad audio. I don't know what happened. It wasn't really detectable while we were recording it. Uh, we tried a different way of recording it, which clearly didn't work out very well. Um, we yeah, might we try tried, tried being in the same place for the first time, uh, but turns out counterintuitively, it's actually more complicated to do it that way. <laughs> Seems as it turns to me. out. Uh, we, we would like to, I'd like to do it again. I mean, we just have to research how to do it. I think we just assumed we could. Um, rather yeah, maybe, than maybe like timing the whiskey drinking in such a way that you know we figured it out before the whiskey really yeah a whole bottle of a whole bottle of woodford <laughs> reserve rye whiskey went down that night so that could have contributed to the screwed up audio and or why we didn't notice all the latency in the track but regardless 
regardless, uh, we're back here. So again, my name is Darren. Uh, my co-host, Mr. Rev Taylor, uh, we are here again. Uh, so it's time for some serious heavy metal nerdery to, for you to open a choice beverage tonight. I have an early morning tomorrow, so I am drinking a non-alcoholic Canada Dry Zero Sugar Ginger Ale because I like it. <laughs> well, I've uh, brought out some of the good stuff, and I've got a bottle of the Glenmorangie. Ooh, which that's is good. Yeah, it's a uh, Highland Scotch, so one of the mellower uh, single malt scotches, but also one of my favorite Highland. Yeah, that's a malts. that's a fantastic beverage. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, the first half of the show, uh, we are going to be do counting down our favorite albums from 2021, and you know, 2021, I'm quite impressed with the crop of albums that came out, uh, considering that we were still, you know, in the, we still are in the grips of a pandemic. Clearly everything's on fire again, but you know, the beginning of last year, everything was really on fire and, you know, nothing was really going down. And um, but I think a lot of bands came out with some cool shit this year. So um, we're going to start with a honorable mention section where we just list off some albums that we really liked that didn't quite make the cut uh, to our top 10 list, but we kind of feel they deserve to be shouted out on the podcast anyway. So Mr. Rev, I will let you go first. Take it away, your honorable mentions of 2021. All right. Cool. Well, uh, unfortunately, we ruined the surprise for each other because it didn't uh, take <laughs> last time. So we know what each other's lists are like, but uh, hopefully still be entertaining for everybody else. So for starters, we've got um, uh, one of the albums we did on the podcast early on. Uh, the album Sinbad by the band Coronary from Finland. Um, this was definitely like the dad rock album of the year for me. This is my uh, my first experience with the uh, Finnish dad rock. <laughs> and it's it a happens. lot of fun. <laughs> it's actually, I mean, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all. This album was a lot of fun. There's some great riffs on it. Just a great rock and roll spirit. Um, highly recommended if you haven't checked it out. It's got a picture of a... Uh, sexy nun smoking i think on the cover which has been done before notably by black sabbath but this is a different nun in a different band so sinbad by coronary um i also have the night flight orchestra and their uh latest record aromantic 2. um it's on the honorable mission mention list because it's uh it's not really a metal record it's more of a more of a pop um AOR kind of kind of album and you know I, I, I it's on here because Night Flight Orchestra is just really good at what they do and I always enjoy it it's great music for taking a drive for impromptu dance parties for just like sitting on your front porch it's great stuff but this one is, is definitely leaning a little bit more in the pop direction even compared to the stuff they've done in the past um, but still lots of fun uh, I've got Todd LaTorre Rejoice in the Suffering on here um, that was one of the best solo albums of the year. And Todd Latore, just uh, a really talented individual and just showing off his just uh, impressive range of talents in the vocal department and also songwriting and playing drums on this record. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of different colors and flavors to it uh, because it's really like an exposition of Todd Latore's many talents um, and definitely should pique people's interest in the newer Queensryche material too. Um, just really impressed by um, by what a pro he seems to be, and uh, definitely 
enjoyed that record and listening to it with you earlier this year. Um, I know you're going to talk more about that at some point too. Correct. Um, what else have I got? All right, I've got the Australian melodic death metal band Bellacore uh, with their album Coherence. I didn't put it on my list just because it's not quite the genre that we discuss here. It's a very, um, you know, it's melodic death metal in the classic kind of Gothenburg style with some progressive elements. It's a little bit different than what we talk about here, but I just was really impressed with how the album was put together um, musically and lyrically. It's kind of got all these songs that loosely relate a kind of this, this concept of a mountain and all these different stories and tragedies that kind of take place around this mountain. Uh, this album was a big, uh, a, maybe a small, but a, 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 an influence a little bit on some of the songs I wrote for the EP, just because when I listened to this one, I was like, oh, I really like the way they like brought the narrative into these songs, but in a kind of subtle way um, in ways that relate to each other. And that's, that's something that I found like kind of inspiring on a songwriting level. Uh, so if you're into uh, a little bit of the slicker um, Scandinavian metal kind of sounds, um, Bellicor is from Australia, like I said, uh, but they definitely have that Northern European sound um, and just a really great progressive and uh, real smooth and dreamy, but also pleasantly heavy kind of record. So definitely recommend that. Uh, I've got... Flotsam and Jetsam with their latest album, Blood in the Water, um, which I went, I had, I, it's one of the ones that I kind of made my list and then realized I'd forgotten about this one and then kind of went through a little bit of a struggle like, oh, should I put it on there? Should I not put it on there? Um, decided to leave it in the honorable missions, mentions just because, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's a very good record. These guys are, are great musicians. I love Erica Knutson's vocal lines, which are always interesting. Um, so I absolutely recommend this album. Obviously, it's in my honorable mentions. But I just, I think the fact that I didn't think of it and there's something about it that just like kind of kept me from coming back to the well uh, after we reviewed it the first time. I'm not quite sure what that was, but nevertheless, good record. Flotsam's great. Um, they're really like hitting their stride late in their career, which is awesome to see. Um, so blood in the water kicks ass. And that's all I've got for my honorable mentions. There's some other stuff I could mention and some stuff that I think you're going to mention that I'll we'll maybe weigh in on, but uh, yeah, let's hear what yours are. Cool. All right. Well, um, you know, we'll... Oh, wait, 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 there was one more. I just okay. realized I skipped one. Um, yeah. The, the kind of oddball pick that I had on here, um, the band KO dot, which uh, came out of a band called Maudlin of the well, which was a important band for me right when I was first getting into metal because <laughs> I was at summer camp and there was a kid there who was a friend of mine whose cousin was in this band, Maudlin of the Well, uh, who had put out this double album called Bath and Leaving Your Body Map. Just really odd experimental prog metal kind of stuff. And it really piqued my interest and expanded my musical palette at that age. And then uh, the main guy in that band put out a lot of other weird shit, let's be honest, under the name uh, K.O. Dot. Some really fascinating, really weird avant-garde uh intriguing creepy music and then for this latest album he kind of came back after a detour through all kinds of new wave goth influenced stuff kind of came back to metal for this album called moss grows on the swords and plowshares alike um it's just a very strange inscrutable kind of record but it really sets a unique mood i haven't heard anything else like it 
Um, so I just felt like it's necessary to mention it for any other weirdos and prog fans out there that might not have heard of KO Dot or might have kind of like heard some of their earlier stuff but not listened recently because this album has the lineup from Maudlin of the Well, um, at least a good chunk of it. And uh, does kind of sound like some of those classic early 2000s albums that they put out. So KO Dot, Moss Grows on the Swords and Plowshares alike. Um, all you freaks and oddballs out there, definitely check that one out. All right, now you can go, Darren. All right. So my honorable mention list, I'm going to kind of have a few, quite a few. So I'm just going to rattle them off and not go too in-depth out of uh, in, in, in any of them, really. Um, the ones that we have that overlap are, first of all, um, Coronary Sinbad album. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I love that record, too. It was just hell of fun, good times. Um, the Shit Happens song is still in heavy rotation on my <laughs> iTunes playlist. Um, I bought the vinyl. Um, nice. I, I really dig it. Uh, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's pretty lighthearted, and it, it just rocks proud and true. Um, the other one I, that we have in common for our um, honorable mentions is Night Flight Orchestra, Aromantic 2. Again, uh, yeah, sequel to Aromantic, you know, 1, I guess, or just Aromantic. Um, again, I didn't put it on my list because you're right, it's not a metal record. Um, but the dudes in the band are all metal players. Um, so, you know, it, it has a bit of crossover appeal. Um, you're right, it's, it's, a, it's a pop record, but it's super fun. Um, if anybody listening is not familiar with Night Flight Orchestra, um, you know, this is something that you really should check out. Amber Galactic is the record. I really recommend if you're going to kind of take a foray into this one, you want to check them out. Um, but yeah, that band, that band is really awesome. Um, so another one that got me late in the year and it didn't make my list probably, it might've, if I'd heard it earlier, but I just didn't have enough time with it. It's an album I know you're going to talk about. Um, which is Morgul Blade, uh, Fell Sorcery Abounds. Um, I really like this this band. We're going to play with them in Chicago at Legions of Metal. And I'm really, really pumped to see their set. Um, it's a nice hybrid of traditional and black metal. Um, it's got a lot of different stuff happening on this album. Um, I know you're going to talk about it later, so I'm not going to talk too much about it myself. Um, my oddball pick, I have a couple oddball picks. So I guess the two oddball picks for me are one is a, it's not a metal record at all, but it, it would make my top 10 if this was not a traditional metal top 10 list, which is Jerry Cantrell's album, Brighton. Um, it's probably the most beautiful piece of music I heard all year. This album is incredible. It's dark, but it's not like depressing dark. You know, it's, um, it's really emotional. The playing is incredible. Um, Jerry's voice is in good great form. The songwriting is incredible production is just like oh my god like if you're a bit of a studio nerd like me you'll love this record um so that one is something i highly recommend and i'm not even a big alice in chains guy you know i like them just fine but i'm not like you know i'm I'm not a mega fan but i love cantrell's solo work i just think it has a little more of that deep darkness that soul going on um another oddball pick is a hilarious stoner rock album i heard called van groover Yes, Van Groover is the name of the band. And the album is called Honk If Parts Fall Off, which is <laughs> the best album title I heard all year. It's so good. And this is just like real, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of stereotypical stoner rock in a lot of ways. It's really groovy. Everything's just kind of blues licks, fuzzed out. You know, songs about smoking weed and partying and driving cars. And it's just, but whatever. I mean, 
I'm wearing a Ride Easy record shirt, so I clearly like that <laughs> kind of stuff. And it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not quite as much into the stoner rock scene as I used to be. I thought it got a little stale, but this is a really fun record. Um, shout outs for the next honorable mention, our brothers, our local homies, Command, for their album Stubborn Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, this this band, I think, gets the award for most improved band that I've heard in the past couple of years. Um, to see where I saw them at their first gig, what they sounded like, um, to what they do now, you know, with another guitar player, um, is just really, really good. They've, uh, they're up, they've up their live show. They put some shapes in their live show, which I really enjoy. Uh, and you know, the, this is, this is just, it's more of like a black and thrash kind of thing, but you know, Doug is a big fan of trad metal as, as is Wes and all those guys. So there's some classic stuff rooted in the heart of it. Uh, great record. Um, from the Doom Realm, uh, Wheel, Preserved in Time, is is probably the best Doom record I heard this year. Very much if you like the traditional Doom style, it's right in your wheelhouse, pun very much intended, um, but I couldn't resist it. <laughs> um, also, another band, another band from the Chicago area, Olerin, they're a Doom band as well, uh, through Shadow and Flame. Um, my buddy Mike plays in that band. So, but you know, I wouldn't blow smoke. It's a great record. Um, everyone should hear it. Um, and another one that you're going to talk about later, I'm pretty sure is uh, midnight spell sky destroyer. It was my favorite debut record. I think of this year uh, for a first album, this album's phenomenal. Uh, I still listen to it quite a bit and we talked about it on the podcast earlier, but you know, we're going to talk about it again today because it's good enough to work talking about again today. So that is the end of my honorable mentions list. So those are the albums that I thought were awesome and worth talking about. I'm also going to give my least favorite albums of the year award. <laughs> it's a tie. It's that um, except record too, was it too mean to die or too tough to die? Too mean to die. Yeah. yeah God, good God. And um, the new age of steel, because I was kind of, I think I was too nice on agent steel when that record came out. <laughs> I went back to it when I was compiling my albums of the year and I listened to all the ones we did on the podcast. It's just a, it's a abomination. It's really, <laughs> it's really bad. Like, you know, it just, it's just, I know that it's interesting in some ways and like, you know, the, but I don't know. It's just, I was like, what was I thinking? But nah, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> it's just, it's just, oh, it, it, I, I like some, I like some weird stuff, but that's just very out there. But anyway, Enough about things that aren't good. Let's talk about things that are good. In fact, we'll talk about the 10 things that we each thought were the best of 2021. And I will let you take, take the lead on this one with number 10. All right. Starting with number 10, a band from New York, New York, and another band we're going to play with in Chicago in May. This is the band Tower and their album Shock to the System. Um, this is a really fun a hard rock album um, with little bits of elements of, of traditional metal and also little elements of punk in there, I think. Elements of doom. Um, got a really charismatic uh, lady vocalist here um, whose name is... Oh, man, I had all these notes for the first time we did this. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm just not going to mention her name, but she's great. Um, 
Wait, Sarah Beth Linden. I'm just really bad with names for the most part. So I just said, yeah, I remember them. And then I get to the podcast. I'm like, oh, shit. I don't remember. (laughs) That's what I just don't mention. But hey, all you people out there, we're reading your album. I know your name. I just don't want to say it wrong or forget it when we say someone (laughs) else's name when we do this. Um, Anyway, Sarah Beth sounds great. She's got a big uh, husky kind of alto voice that she just goes absolutely balls out on she's got the kind of voice that can really make that work while still sounding uh healthy and full um reminds me in some ways of uh amy lee from solicitor here in the northwest seems to be kind of a uh, an east coast counterpart of hers uh but this band is a little bit more uh classic rock and roll than solicitor is um they've got some great tracks on here um Lay Down the Law, it's a really fun song. The Black Rose, um, Powder Keg, kind of a, I think it's the track In Dreams is kind of the epic of the album. Um, Just a lot of fun, clearly like, you know when people are really, really smart and they choose to play music that is just really simple and it works? Hell yeah. Um, That seems to be what we're looking at here. Like you can tell that these guys have done their homework and probably all have massive collections of some really awesome obscure stuff but they're able to just like put something together that's really elegant in its simplicity and it's ferocious and it's fun um can't wait to play with these guys uh just look at the album cover it's got like a lady trapped in a window on an ice planet it's it's just like they it's exactly the kind of just over the top exuberant old school hard rock heavy metal stuff that you know brings us to do podcasts like this uh, <laughs> and the music sounds like the cover art looks uh vintage but not not too uh precious about that you know what Got i'm it. saying um so yeah tower shock to the system number 10 uh definitely check it out i you know and since we talked you know since we did our first run of this our practice run um I listened to this album and I totally agree with you. You know, I didn't yeah. mention it because I just heard it like, you know, last week, but it is badass. And I am very stoked to play with these guys too. Well, my number 10, another band we will be playing with in Chicago, Legions of Metal, plug, 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 shame, 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 <laughs> out the window. Um, buy your tickets to that fest, go to Chicago, gonna be rad. Um, it's an album that we did, we didn't really, the only, I think it's made the main album, the only album that we really didn't agree on, and it grew on me a lot was um, Decadence and Decay by Silvertown. Um, you know, we, when, when I, like, I didn't really know what to think of this album at first, on uh, first listen, because it is a little different. Um, but the main thing for me, um, and, I, and I know when we reviewed it on the, on the cast, um, your kind of issue was with how the vocals were recorded and, and, and a few things around that. But for me, you know, as a, with a less educated ear than you about, about vocals, like they, they were fine for me, but for me, the thing that got me the most was the virtuosic playing. Um, this band just is full of killers and they're just unbelievable. Um, you know, Divine Fury was the best, the craziest like musical thing that I heard all year, apart from like, you know, crazy like shred dudes that are just like, like what, let's these, we play these scales all day. Is it a song? I don't know, but like Divine Fury is a composed song and um, it, uh, you know, what the hell is that? It, 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 um, 
you know, it really does it for me. I also really liked, um, you know, Next to the Sun, Kill All Kings. Like, it's just, it's a great record. Um, and these are the homies. They're from Portland, you know. Um, like, we, we, we want to mention, give a shout that when I was, uh, you know, when I was down and out after getting shot in Boise, these guys were super cool and supportive. And, you know, they really had our backs. Um, and they're just, they just kind of showed a lot of character and, you know, a lot of, um, it, it felt really good they were one of the bands that were kind of like really rallying behind, uh, you know, the GoFundMe cause and, and, and everything like that just seemed like a bunch of solid dudes, even though, I mean, I've, I've met Wyatt a couple times. Um, and I have met one or two of the other guys like once or twice, you know, just kind of in passing at shows or when I've been down in Portland for work or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this band play live in Chicago as well. Um, shout out to, you know, another Pacific Northwest band. So number 10, Silver Talon, Decadence, and Decay. Yeah, I think I, I probably need to revisit that one. I, I haven't had a chance to since the last time we did it. But um, yeah, who knows? You know, sometimes something hits you and just not quite the right time. Or it 100%. It might be my style, but it is definitely like done well. And there's some, some, some of the vocal stuff didn't quite get past my admittedly overactive filter about that. But, uh, but definitely don't let that stop. I don't think anyone listening here would let that stop you listening. It's to a it. blessing and a curse <laughs> being an expert on something, man. It really is. You know, like that, that's the thing when you learn something inside and out front and back and you can kind of hear all the technicalities, it's a cool thing, but it can be, you know, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes. And, you know, I'm the same way with certain things in my life, like working in the fire suppression industry, I'll watch TV shows and get mad about like, what the kitchen system looks like in the background when I should be enjoying a day movie, you know, yeah, right. not, not quite, not quite, not quite the same thing, but um, you know, when you can hear a lot, you can hear a lot more stuff in, in vocals than I can. So I kind of get why we were a little divergent on that one. Well, yeah, but those guys absolutely have shown up for us, um, you know, in, in a time of crisis and, and sort of absolutely support Silvertown. Hell yeah. All right. On to number nine. You go for, go right ahead, man. Oh, yeah. Number nine. It's to me now. All right. For number nine, I have something you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is Midnight Spell with Sky Destroyer. Uh, these guys, debut album out of Miami. Um, incredibly talented lead vocalist. Um, still uh, sounds like, to me, like a raw talent that could go in any number of directions. But I was just really impressed with the ease of his singing, uh, the ease at which he moves through his registers, and just how much fun this whole band seemed to be having. Mm. Um, it's a band where the, the band leader seems to be a drummer, this guy Brian Wilson. Um, and possibly for that reason, it's a very drum forward album, which is something I really like in my metal albums. I like to really feel like I can hear and feel every hit of the drums. Uh, and this album's really recorded that way. So I really enjoyed it. You know, drums and vocals are very prominent. Um, and, and that's kind of the way I like it. But there's a lot of great guitar work too, um, including from, uh, you know, one, one of the guitarists is just named Hammer. And at one point, yeah. I, I remember there's one song <laughs> where the, uh, the vocalist before a guitar solo just goes, Hammer! <laughs> yeah. Well, that explains why he yelled out there then. And I was always wondering about that. I was like, yeah. all right. I mean, I'm not going to say anything wrong with screaming hammer at the top of your lungs <laughs> in the middle of a metal song, but now I understand the context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some just, this really had the swagger, you know, there's, there's a lot of 
in the in the new wave of traditional heavy metal scene that's been developing lately, there are a lot of bands that kind of try to have that. Um, I don't even quite know how to describe it, but that just like you know, a little bit of Motley Crue kind of sunset strip, little sunset strip swagger to it, um, um, and that like rock and roll snarl and attitude, and a little bit more of a we'll call maybe a party focus. Yeah. the lyrics and kind of the intention of the music so there's a lot of a lot of bands like that a lot of them are really good but uh and i certainly didn't hear every um every album in this style and there's one that i know you're going to mention later um that that is also worth mentioning not on my list but uh very good but this one to me was the top like semi sunset strip party um you know bandanas and swagger style metal album of the year i just really have a lot of fun when i listen to this one i think my favorite track is probably the closer headbang till death yeah uh, but the title rest. track sky destroyer is a great kind of uh the more sweeping epic kind of song uh some of the early tracks blood for blood between the eyes midnight ride are a lot of fun too um and it's just like, my guess is if you listen to this podcast, you probably already listened to this because they recorded it, but you're going to like it. It's, it's just so much fun. And Paolo Velasquez got to, got to put it up for that guy. I really look forward to hearing uh, more of him because it's, he's a, he's a big talent in terms of heavy metal vocals and uh, definitely look forward to hearing more of him. So yeah, Midnight Spell from Miami, Sky Destroyer. Really hope we can play with these guys someday because I think that would be a hell of a good time. I agree. I mean, you know, this, if there was a number 11, that would be my number eleven. Like you know, they'd be, it would be right there. That's a great record, um, and you, you, you're spot on in your assessment of it. Uh, all right, for me, number nine, uh, Portland strikes again uh, with Bewitcher, Cursed Be Thy Kingdom. Uh, this is a record that I really wanted to do on the podcast till we took our very, very long, somewhat you know, an unintentional break. Um, but this album rules. It's, it's the, I guess you would call it like the darker you know, side, faster, more aggressive side of traditional metal. Um, this one um, really rides that Motorhead, uh, Venom kind of kind of vibe, but like a lot catchier. Um, my favorite tracks are the Titanic Magic Attack, um, you know, Mystifier and uh, Death Returns. Um, there's also a really cool Pentagram cover. They do Sign of the Wolf and they do a really, really cool take on it. That's one of my favorite songs the Pentagram did. Um, you know, and, and Bobby Liebling turned out to be a bit of a cringe fest. So it's nice to hear someone that's not him sing it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, this is also my favorite bass tone that I heard on a record in, uh, tw- in 2021. The bass on this record just sounds absolutely f- uh, fantastic. Um, the production on this record for the style um, is actually quite shiny uh, for, for like a, a band that plays like down dirty like this. Um, it's quite beefed up, which is a really, really good thing. This was their debut on Century Media Records, uh, you know, making a jump to a fairly big label, you know, probably one of the bigger labels in the metal world. Um, and uh, great for them, and they really came through on their debut. Um, and you really do still get the three-piece energy from this, because they are three-piece. Um, you still get that rawness from, from that comes through in this, but the main thing... Um, on this one is just the energy and the performances are, are, are spot on. So if you're, you know, I recommend, especially if you like that old school, 
you know, some of you like your music a little bit grittier than the stuff we usually review. Um, Bewitcher, Curses Be Thy Kingdom, badass album, badass title uh, from a badass band. Um, and, you know, Pacific Northwest is had a strong year in 2021. This is one of the major reasons why. So, yeah, Bewitcher, Curses Be Thy Kingdom, number nine on my list. Nice. Yeah, Bewitcher is just, an, and they're a force. You know, if you haven't seen them live, definitely worth checking out. I mean, the amount of energy they bring as a three-piece is is remarkable. You know, it's in a three-piece, like everybody has to be on all the time um, yep. and has to be just cranked up energy-wise all the time. And these guys really are, it's an absolutely entertaining show. We played um, a couple bands before them, back before the pandemic in September of 2019, I think. Yeah, Eliminator Fest. Fest. Yeah, that was yeah. a good time. And then there was a friend of ours there who... Uh, slipped me some, you know, a modest amount of, of magic mushrooms. And then <laughs> having consumed those, I watched Bewitcher's set. And um, I mean, even had it not been for the mushrooms, I'm certain I would have been impressed, but <laughs> it definitely gave it a little extra pop. But those guys, yeah, they, they, they're, it's an impressive record. It's not really my style, uh, but I, I really can't deny that it, it's a good album. It gets me stoked. Uh, definitely would not have been out of place on my honorable mentions list if I just made it a little longer. So yeah, definitely The Witcher is great. All right, number eight. Um, here's another album we did on the podcast. Um, this one definitely stood out, I think, for a lot of folks. So from Athens, Greece, the band is Warrior Path and the album is The Mad King. Uh, this one was a lot of fun. I, I think I remember saying at, at one point, like, Here's one of these albums that if you beamed it into space and aliens heard it and they came back and they were like, is this heavy metal? Does this describe what heavy metal sounds like? I'd have to be like, yeah, man, that's heavy metal. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> these guys yeah. really like put together a, a, an album that sounds great, that really has the spirit of metal in there. Um, it's got the fantasy elements but um, has a good backbone to it too. The production sounds nice and smooth, but uh, maintains the old school character at the same time. Um, there's a lot of a narrative component about it. A lot of the songs are about telling stories. Um, there seems to be this whole framework about a mad king who's like going crazy as his like the druid is telling stories and kind of manipulating events and it's, I, I like that framing device it's a lot of fun um there's a couple things there's reasons why it wasn't a little bit higher on the list just like every song has an intro that just yeah <laughs> yeah it's really long it does it it, it could have it could have been trimmed in a couple different ways um but still i'm, I'm excited that these guys are out there uh, looking forward to hearing what they do next i think this one really did make a splash deservedly because when they're on they're way on uh, and a couple of these tracks especially the title track um, his wrath will fall um, it, it's it's a lot of fun I mean the, the way that the album has so many intros but even with that like mm. <laughs> the album itself has like an intro song and then like the first song has a lengthy intro but I can't deny that it's kind of awesome the way they build up into telling their story and bringing us into this world that they're creating with this album. Um, so this is definitely one where for me, 
I liked putting on the uh, the first three or four tracks, uh, and then usually I would move on to something else. But those first three or four tracks were so much fun and so kind of involving in telling the story that even just by virtue of those alone, uh, this gets on the list at number eight. Uh, Warrior Path, Matt King. How about you? What's your number eight, Darren? <laughs> Well, you know, as you may guess, um, this is the first time our picks overlap. Uh, and my number eight pick is Warrior Path, uh, Mad King. Um, and my opinion is very similar to yours. I mean, this is a really, this is a, I mean, as a guy with a Man of War tattoo, this is like right up my alley. This is all the things that I truly love about metal. Um, you know, epic tales of bravery and fantasy and all that kind of stuff all the things i like you know you're there's a couple things i mean this should if you think about all the elements that are on here this thing is regal it's epic it's powerful it's got wonderful production it's got all the things that i want this feels like it should be higher on my list there just were a few things that made it not quite there for me and they're just Part of it was the intros to every song. The re and, you know, I, I like them. In some, for, and you're right. Like, some of them do a good job of introducing us to the, the, the story that's coming and whatnot. However, not on repeat listens. And that, that's my issue, is when I go back and listen to it again, I'm like, fast forward that. You know, and I don't want to do that. You know, especially, like, for a guy who drives a lot. For, I do a lot of my listening in, in my vehicle, as I've spoken about on the podcast. That's where I do a lot of my, because I drive all over Washington State for work. So that's when I get a lot of my really attentive listening done. Um, not that I'm not paying attention to the road. I am. So nobody give me any hate mail, please. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just the, the, those intros kind of screw up repeat listens to, for me a little bit. Um, I'd like to see the songwriting be a little, maybe just a little more focused on the next one at times. It, they do tend to meander a little bit. But that's just me nitpicking. This is a this is an awesome record. Um, you know, it brings nothing new to the table, but I don't care. It's just it's just badass. Um, you know, Savage Tribe, Never Any Fight. Um, you know, Don't Fear the Unknown. Just banger after banger. Um, it was on a lot of top ten lists this year. It deserved to be in a lot of top ten lists this year. So, yep, for me too. Number eight, Warrior Path, Mad King. Awesome record. Get it if you haven't heard. Okay, moving on. All right, number seven, I've got from Philadelphia, the band Pharaoh and their albums, the, the album, The Powers That Be. Um, this is a band that will often show up when they, I mean, the last album they put out, I think was 2012, but they, they definitely have the critical darlings thing going on. It's a band that to my knowledge does not play live often, except for, for festivals. So they very much are a, uh, an album making band. Uh, they've been around for a long time. Um, some prominent members, including the vocalist, is Tim Amar. I'm not sure how to pronounce Amar, Amar. Um, but he sang with Chuck Schuldiner and Control Denied. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, it's also got Chris Black in it, who I think we've at least mentioned on the podcast before because he's responsible for Dawnbringer, which is a project I really like, as well as High Spirits, um, who definitely plays in our scene and shows up from time to time. Um, and so this is, uh, Pharaoh, the powers that be, it's very much the like musicians power metal album. Um, it's very intricate. 
the parts are complex and difficult. Um, it's not horribly, it's not super flashy, but it's definitely like intricate and um, progressive, if not in the songwriting, then definitely in the riff writing and the, um, the chorus writing and things like this. I think this, this was a band that was prominent in the 2000s. I mean, you'd remember this better than I would because I was younger then, but um, at a time when there was not a lot of traditional metal being produced, it wasn't really being embraced 100%. in the mainstream. Yep. And, um, and I think possibly in part for that reason, some of Pharaoh's earlier stuff is maybe almost trying a little too hard to be intellectual, you know? to like set themselves apart from the like stigma of cheesy power metal. What I like about this album on the powers that be is they still have that, that um, intellectual complexity, but they have started to like edge a little bit into the power metal fun realm. Just enough, I think, to make it just a little bit more fun and a little bit more uh, satisfying um, as a listener who honestly enjoys cheese. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, I think that, that Chris Black, who I know writes some of these songs has probably learned from his high spirits success and has put a little bit of that accessibility in here. Um, so there's a song on here called Freedom, which is just absolutely like a power metal party song. Uh, and it's fun to hear a band like this that has some, some uh, cachet embracing the fun of this. Um, there's a lot of cool different flavors on this album. Um, some interesting balladry. Uh, the song really ends on a bang. Freedom, Dying Sun, and then the closing track, I Can Hear Them, is epic. But the whole thing um, is a lot of fun, really great crossroads of complexity and catchiness. Uh, I really like Tim Amar's vocals. He's got this like really kind of unique, uh, kind of smoky sound to it. I'm not really sure how he does that or whether it's vocally healthy, but I don't care because it sounds badass. Um, <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, so yeah, Pharaoh, Powers That Be at number seven for me. Yeah, and this is one you put on my radar and I've had a chance to spin it ever since you mentioned it to me. And yeah, it's it's awesome, man. And I, I, I agree with you. I do actually like it better than their older stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they do seem to just want to rock a little bit more. And that's a very, very cool element to bring to the team. Pharaoh are an awesome band. Um, and if anyone out there for some reason hasn't heard Control Denied, Go get that, because that is a wicked record. That's one of the best heavy metal albums ever, ever made. Excuse me. Canada Dry is coming back to revisit. <laughs> All right. And my number seven pick is one that we reviewed on the podcast and that my esteemed co-host had his honorable mentions, which is Tom LaTorre, uh, Rejoice in the Suffering. Uh, solo record, as we talked about, by our, our current frontman of Queensryche, um, this one has a huge, massive, shiny production to it. Um, at the first, when we first started listening to this, um, I thought it started off sounding quite new metal, and I got scared. I was like, <laughs> "Oh man, I really..." Because you know, Todd, I like Todd's albums with Queensrÿche. I one of the first shows I saw in Seattle, actually, I think it was the second show I saw after I moved here in 2016. Only a couple weeks after was Queensryche with Todd and Armor Saint playing at the Showbox Market. And it was absolutely fantastic. He does such a good job at Queensryche. And he comes across with so much integrity and is such a nice guy. I'm like, I don't want to hate this record. But thankfully, it is not a new metal record at all. It got a lot better. Um, it definitely plays like a solo album. And 
considering he does most of the music and the vocals on this, it is actually a true solo album because he, you know, does most of everything. Um, but I think that's a good thing. He definitely, one of my favorite and most important records in my young heavy metal life was Halford's uh, Resurrection album. Um, you know, that was coming out of what I call like the dark days of new metal. Like there just was a lot of that kind of dominating, you know, mainstream heavy metal. And, you know, say what you want about like the, you know, the underground always thrived. It always did. There was, there was bands making great records all through the nineties, but it certainly helps uh, touring bands and it helps shows come through town when there are some bigger bands getting more eyes of the world on the scene. Um, so for me, when that album hit, it kind of signaled that like, oh man, like this is, uh, it, it, that one in Brave New World by Iron Maiden, um, it was kind of like a signal that man, like this old school stuff, this traditional style heavy metal is, is you know, making, a, it's rearing its head. Um, highlights of this record, um, Dark and Majesty, Vexed, and Crossroads to Insanity are probably my three favorites. Um, I bought the vinyl. Um, came with a cool autographed picture, too, which was neat. Um, and uh, I spin it all the time. Um, just a great, great effort from a really, really cool cat. Um, so, yeah, number seven, Tom LaTorre, Rejoice in the Suffering. Yeah, just as a, as a vocalist, it's just so much fun to hear how many different things he tries because he definitely has like a straight on Halford kind of sound he employs in a couple songs. He does kind of a Lane Staley thing at a few points. He's got his like Jeff Tate kind of style that he uses in Queensryche that shows up on this record. And then like, especially on the bonus tracks, he just pulls out some straight death metal harsh vocals at a few yeah, points. Yeah, for sure. There's, so, there's some brutal stuff on there too. So this guy's range of styles is, is, is really impressive and so um yeah i really enjoyed that record too all right number six um i won't say too much about this one because i know there will be more to say about it but uh, another one we did on the podcast uh when we had uh your buddy jesse on here it was a fun yeah. episode. uh the crystal the viper yep the night of the stub toe the night of the stub toe right yeah <laughs> so yeah this is um from I think Katowice, Poland is Crystal Viper and the album The Cult. And uh, yeah, this album is just, it's just so much fun, um, largely just because of the, the charisma of Marta Gabriel, uh, the, the lead singer and I think main songwriter, um, who's got a great voice and just seems to just like, I don't know, the joy of playing this music just really shines through on this album and so every track is a lot of fun uh and it's got a really distinctive flavor to it because it's got um a little bit of that like what i can only really describe as like a european sense of melody just like a little like a little bit of folk music a little hint of eurovision laid on top of a really excellent solid heavy metal foundation um, which actually gives it a bit of a unique flavor. I can't think of an album that sounds quite like, like this one. Um, and just the melodies are just off the charts good. Like, I think we talked about the last time we tried to do this list. Like, I look through the, tr the track listing and I can just like hear all of these melodies in my head, 100%. even if I haven't listened to the album in weeks or months, uh, because there's this great clarity of musical intention of what, she, uh, what she's doing here and what the band's doing. Um, uh, songs Sleeping Giants is one of my favorites uh, Asenath Wait um, the title track is really fun 
Um, yeah, I, it's just, this was one of the most just enjoyable records we did in the, in the whole touch. You know, what, what, what can you say about it? There's, there's no complaints. It's just a, a great, fun, enjoyable record. Really hope uh, we could hear these guys live sometime. Um, there is a, recently I saw a, a in-studio video performance that they did of some of the songs from this record. And it was really fun to see how well they held up in a more live environment where you're only hearing one vocal line. Um, and it's still strong because the songwriting is good and uh, the music is solid and the singing is good. I was really impressed with all the things that she can do. Um, and also just, she's got this great high extension in her voice. She's got good lower notes, um, a good range throughout. Thick Polish accent singing in English, but still manages to make herself understood, um, which is not easy. So major props to her for doing that. Uh, yeah, hell of a fun album, Crystal Viper, The Cult. Um, I don't think we've heard the last of it tonight, so I'll leave it there. We may, we just may not have. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right, well, coming in at number six for me, um, an album that came on, it's probably the one that made my list that came in, um, you know, very late in the year for me, but it is um, Eternity's End, Embers of War. Mm -hmm. And I have to thank, uh, thank regular listener, uh, great friend, and my former bandmate, Skeletor Rob Steinway, for putting this one on my radar, because I was blissfully unaware of it. And he told me that he really liked it. And I was like, okay. And then he mentioned that Ayuri Sampson, ex-vocalist from Hibria, is on this record. And I was like, okay, now I have to hear it. Because, you know, I'm actually like, you know, I've met the guys in Hibria a lot of times. Ayuri was in the band. Um, I connected with him, you know, quite well. We still stick, stayed in touch over social media over the years. And somehow I was unaware that he did this. <laughs> you know, I, had, I had no idea. I had seen this album floating around and seen the cover and like, nah, I got to get that in my ears at some point, but I didn't realize he was on it. So I got this album. Um, this is very, very traditional metal stuff. Um, very traditional power metal stuff. Um, but there's like some hints of like thrash metal and a lot in speed metal. It's a very fast record. Um, it's extremely technically proficient. Like all the people in this band are very, very good at what they do. Um, they do a lot of the virtuosic stuff. Um, but the cool thing is that they make it sound easy. You know, a lot of times you hear records and there's like crazy playing, but you could tell that guy is really straining to pull this off or it's had to be, you know, that one passage was broken into like five different takes. And you can really hear it. You know, you could like, or they play, you go, I can hear they play that one note at a time. This one, you know, these dudes just shred their parts. And it's really, really, really impressive. Um, it's very well produced. Um, yeah, some of my highlights, uh, Bane of the Black Sword is my absolute favorite on it. Uh, Dreadnought, Call of the Valkyries. Uh, the title track, Embers of War, is probably like the most flamboyant metal song I heard all year. It's just super, super flashy and way over the top and ridiculous in a great way. Um, Yuri's in fine form. He's one of my favorite power metal singers that I've ever heard. Um, as well as being just a, a, you know, a great dude. I think this band is made up because I know he's, unless he moved, he's Brazilian. And I think some of these other guys are from other parts of the world. So, which is becoming much more of a common thing. I mean, we're seeing because of the internet, we're seeing bands form with people on different continents in different parts of countries, different countries, whatever. Um, so who knows if we'll see them do much as far as touring, but 
hey, it's a great album, and if there's great musicians, are going to get together and do stuff over distance, and we're going to get more music from Talented Cats. I'm all about it. Um, so yeah, coming in at number six for me, Eternity's End, Embers of War. Pass it back over to you for number five. Yeah, I checked out that album since you mentioned it to me last too. That, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Probably more notes per second than, uh, yeah, it's than like, probably any other album we talked yeah, about tonight. It's like if you talk about like movies with most gunshots per second and you mentioned like Face Off, like this is kind of like the same thing. It definitely <laughs> is the most, the most notes in this album than any other one. Yeah. All right, number five for me is uh, from the UK, the band Seven Sisters and the album Shadow of a Fallen Star. Part one. Uh, <laughs> I found these guys actually because um, one of our uh, mutual friends, Sammy, who's actually singing for a, a band called Telemeris now. Um, so keep your ears open for that. Um, she comes to me for questions about uh, metal singing sometimes and to talk about it because we've got a shared opera background. And uh, she was mentioning the band Seven Spires. Um, which put out an album this year, more of a modern metal kind of thing with a really uh, multi-talented female vocalist. And she was like, how does the Seven Spires singer sing so high? Um, but then I forgot the name of the band and I was looking it up and I found Seven Sisters instead. And um, this is also right around the same time we were playing that show with Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> yeah, all the seven bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except seven sisters, well, seven spires and seven kingdoms both have female vocalists, but oddly, seven sisters is the band that has a male vocalist. <laughs> Are they all dudes? In seven sisters? I think yeah. so. I think okay. it's actually four dudes, and I don't think they're brothers or anything. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, whatever, it works. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, th I think it's uh, in reference to the Pleiades, is my guess, the star cluster. Yeah, there's um, four of them and they're dudes, so it's clearly not autobiographical. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, this album is a lot of fun. It's like a, a very melodic, sort of a little bit of uh, prog power metal kind of stuff with kind of one foot in the space rock realm. We've got like a um, kind of vintage sci-fi space epic kind of concept album here, as near as I can tell from cover art and, and listening to the lyrics. Uh, and so in that respect, it's kind of got some things in common with a band like Hellas, which I really like, um, which I think I've mentioned at some point because of uh, the album they released last year. But um, yeah, this album just has a lot of great melodies. I like the singer's voice a lot. He's, um, he sings in a more, slightly more classical sounding style with more cover in the voice, um, meaning more like, ooh, and less, ah, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, I, I like that kind of singing because it's more like what I do. Um, so I really appreciated all the different um, vocal elements and the songwriting is great. There's some really cool, interesting melodies on here, some earworms. Um, and uh, just a lot of potential shining through this band. I'm excited to hear what Shadow of a Fallen Star Part Two sounds like. Um, songs like Horizon's Eye, The Artifact. Um, what I really like about this too is you can clearly tell from the way that the lyrics are delivered, from the way this is being, being played and presented, that uh, the band, and at least the singer, really believe in the story they're telling. You can hear the emotion in it. Um, and you can hear that the emotion comes from 
really feeling and inhabiting that world that they're describing. And I really like uh, the, the storytelling and like the bardic element of, of an album like this that really brings you into the world that the band is creating for you. Um, and they, they do it with some uh, badass playing, good compositional skills, um, not the artifact, the artifice is the song I was thinking of. The artifice, Whispers in the Dark, Horizon's Eye. Uh, yeah, especially that middle part of the album really uh, impressed me and shows, I think, that these guys have a lot to offer in the future. I'd like to hear them um, in person and uh, hear what they're like in that context. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple little uneven bits on it, but all in all, I was impressed enough to put this at number five, Seven Sisters. Shadow of the This is an album I haven't fully got into yet, but you know, since you talked to me about it, um, several other people um, who I know and respect have mentioned this record to me. So I yeah. need to get this damn thing in my ears. All right, so next up for me at number five is the Spanish band Hitten, H-I-T-T-E-N, Hitten, with their album Triumph and Tragedy. Um, this one, again, hit me quite late. This I, I heard this, I think, in early December, I want to say, early mid-December. Um, and this is just some really good, fun stuff. I mean, it's got some some glam Sunset Strip elements, kind of we talked about with the Midnight, the Midnight Spell stuff earlier. Um, uh, some very, like, Striker vibes. One of my favorite uh, new uh, traditional metal band of the modern era is Striker from Edmonton, Alberta. Um, you know, good homies of mine, great dudes, unbelievable live band. Um, and they've been doing this shit since like, you know, 2008 or 2009. Uh, they're kind of like the OGs of the new wave of traditional heavy metal, if that's, if that, you know, contradiction makes any sense. Um, but like, man, these are just like, there's some really good singing on this record. Um, the dude's like really close to being like just amazing. Um, but the singing on this record, I think, is really good. Um, it's just super fun. Uh, production is, like, real solid. And I don't know, it's it's not really a record that I can go too in-depth on. I mean, it's kind of like a lot of shreddy stuff, too. Like, there's some major Racer X vibes going on on this record. This band can really, really, really play. Um, there's a lot of really wicked arpeggios and just nasty guitar licks. Um other than that, it's just like, this is just really, really fun. And it's like a party time record. Like you put this on when people are over um, having, I think we, I put it on when you and Jacqueline were over having drinks the other night. And yeah, it was- and it, I, At first I was like, is this a Dawkin album I haven't heard before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit, right? I mean, there's like, there's, there's, a, a, there's a lot of that going on, but um, highlights for me, Eyes Never Lie, um, the title track, Triumph of Tragedy, you know, under your spell is another one um this is just really really great fun overly catchy shit i mean it's just it's it's a fantastic record and you know if you're looking to have a good time in 2022 which i certainly am i suggest you pick up hitting uh triumph and tragedy all right well on to number four now number four it is we're getting up to the top tier here so all right so uh here's another one we did on the podcast and that i i think i praised uh, pretty heavily at the time, but um, number four, but kind of, you know, I think ranked higher in my heart in some ways. Number four on your list, number one in your heart. <laughs> yeah, number four on my list, number one in my heart. This is uh, Blaze Bailey, War Within Me. I just like this album so much. Like I just, I listen to it. So it just makes me happy. 
and I, I don't know exactly what it is about it. It's just so honest. It's just really to the point. Um, Blaze has been collaborating with some younger players. I think there's a guy who's like my age or younger who's you know playing guitar on this record and then his brother is playing rhythm guitar on this record uh and that collaboration seems to have been really fruitful because this album has a lot of vitality but also has uh the the kind of sense of settledness and, and honesty that comes from a seasoned performer who's like been through ups and downs and uh picked himself back up again and uh you know gone through fame and losing fame and everything and you just you feel that in the album it really like one of the great things about a good solo album is you kind of you, you can feel that force of personality shining through the record um and I, I feel like that's what's happening like you it just makes me want to hang out with blaze bailey but i feel like i'm hanging out with him just by listening to his record because a lot of this stuff is is really personal um but also just kind of not in a way that I don't feel invited into it. Like there's a song about like an earthquake he experienced with his band on tour. And it just like, it's so, the lyrics are about playing with the band and there's an earthquake, but it works, <laughs> you know? Uh, and there's some fun stuff on it. There's like a trilogy of songs about scientists, um, Alan Turing and uh, Stephen Hawking. And um, hold on a second, I'm pulling this up so I can look at it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, The Dream of Alan Turing, The Power of Nikola Tesla, and The Unstoppable Stephen Hawking. Really fun um, tr little trilogy kind of paying homage to these scientists. And uh, you just get the sense that Blaze Bailey is like, you can feel that there's just a kid in there who just thinks science is cool and thinks these things are cool, thinks history is cool and is singing about it and welcoming us all into it. Um, so just really fun record. Um, really, uh, just really honest statement, an uplifting statement from um, someone who uh, I think people have a lot of negative associations with because that wasn't the best time in Iron Maiden's career and those albums aren't the best. But I think he, he's really like come out with an album that's kind of about the redemption that comes from being that, that comes from rising out of a situation like that you know um so yeah we talked a lot about it at the time i'm sure um i'm sure everybody remembers that if they listen to it but if not definitely go check out the album more within me by blaze bailey check out the title track check out the scientist songs just listen to the whole thing and just um soak it in <laughs> absolutely three. man Absolutely. And you know what? Um, I don't have to retort that one because we have our second overlap on our top 10. The number four is uh, for me is Blaze Bailey, War Within Me. Also my sentimental number one. Um, mm -hmm. This is like the feel good album for me of 2021. <laughs> I just like, it's so, it, it has a certain like honesty and wholesomeness to it. Um, it's almost like you feel like this guy, like you said, there's a lot of negative emotions associated with them because he was in that spot of being the other guy in Iron Maiden. And, you know, he was the wrong choice for Iron Maiden. He's a baritone. He's not going to be able to do a great job of singing all the classic Maiden songs, which are going to be the one everyone wants to hear when they go see the show. Um, in my opinion, the songwritings on, songwriting on those two albums they put out with him was not great. Um, 
I thought his singing was just fine on it, but the songs were stupid. Um, so I don't really, I never looked at Blaze as being any part of that problem because, you know, maybe let's say you are the wrong guy for Iron Maiden or some, whoever it is. Are you going to turn that gig down? No. Like, no one's going to turn that gig down, you know? Um, for example, would you be the best guy to replace Rob Halford and Judas Priest if Judas Priest needed a singer? No. Would you take the gig if they offered it? Like I would be sorely tempted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's it, it's tough. It's tough to say no. And you know he got put in that in, in an impossible position. Um, he's been making great solo albums for years. Um, I've been kind of following his solo career ever since I like, heard Silicon Messiah in like two thousand or two thousand one. I thought that was really good. But this album for me was a surprise album of the year. Um, I didn't expect it to be as good as it is. Um, I expected to enjoy it, but I didn't think it was going to be this good. He is in fine form here. He's in great voice. Um, the songwriting is fantastic. Um, if I had one gripe about it is I don't love the production. I think that the production could be unmuddied a little bit. Maybe, you know, just boost it up and get the mat. Maybe it's a mastering. I don't know. There's something about it that I just feel like could have been done a little bit better. It doesn't need to be super, super shiny like some of the other fan, like bigger budget albums we listened to this year or some of like the Todd LaTorre album. It doesn't need that kind of production, but it could be a little beefier. Um, the players he's got are great. You could tell they've all bought into this project 110%. Um, you know, the highlights for me were one was the title track. Um, and then, yeah, the scientist trilogy. I was like, I remember like looking at that and being like, I think this is going to be really stupid. But it actually wasn't. Like, all the songs were awesome. And I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. And it, 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 it surprised me. I still play it a lot. I'm trying to track down a vinyl copy. It seems to be sold out mm. all over planet Earth, except on Discogs for, like, 5,000 euros on your left testicle. But, um, yeah, War Within Me, Blaze Bailey, awesome record, feel-good record of 2021 for me. It really put a smile on my face. It's like, cause it's like, here's this guy who was put in a really impossible position, got really maligned for it. And he's still kicking and he's still doing it. Um, and he was also in a band before Iron Maiden called Wolfsbane, which if people haven't heard it is great. Like British, I call it like British pub rock almost, but it, it is awesome. And it's, it's worth, worth listening to. Um, yeah, man, Blaze, keep, stay, keep doing it, buddy. Cause he's just, he, he's, he's a gem, and, you know, I think so much of him these days. And like I said one day on Facebook, I'm like, you know, 2021's been a strange year when the Blaze Bailey record is, like, way, 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 way better than the new Iron Maiden record. Mm -hmm. <laughs> More on that to come. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, number four, Blaze Bailey, War Within Me. All right. Well, getting into the top three. Um, all right, top three for me. The n number three was uh this was an interesting one because this was a, an album that i kind of went back and forth and like should i include it is it a classic metal album um because i knew that if i were gonna i, I couldn't just stuff it in the back of the list because it was one of my favorite albums i heard this year i would have to either kind of totally say it's well it's not really a classic metal album or just go ahead and be honest about the fact it's one of my favorites and stick it kind of up front in the list where I feel like it belongs. And, and ultimately I kind of decided, you know what, I'm gonna rule in the favor of inclusivity. There's not really hard and fast rules about what constitutes 
a classic metal album and what doesn't, and this does have some of those elements. And so I just decided to say, all right, let's do it. So this is album um, is from a Danish band making their debut. Uh, the band is called Jotun, I-O-T-U-N-N, and the album is Access All Worlds. Tip of the hat to Jeff Black from Gatekeeper for um, introducing me to this one. Uh, this is a really interesting album. It's, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like a space prog melodic metal album of, of, of some sort. Um, it's got a huge sound, um, again, with the massive drum sound that I like. It's got this huge sense of atmosphere. It really is transporting to another world, kind of. I get that feeling of like, you know, you turn on a sci-fi movie you haven't seen before, open a book that takes place on some other planet, and it sometimes the storyteller just hits this vibe. And that's what this album is like to me, like putting it on, I just feel transported to this other realm. It's like kind of getting a message from some, you know, extinct alien civilization or something, because it just has enough of a otherworldly quality. Um, it's got a lot of, uh, I mean, it is a, a fairly modern record. There's some harsh vocals, there's some clean vocals, there's some blast beats, there's some kind of math metal kind of stuff, but there's also just some like killer riffs, um, some solid grooves, some great guitar solos and some great clean vocals. And that's why I feel like it deserves to be on this particular list. Um, the guy who's the vocalist for this is this guy named Yon, um, who's from the Faroe Islands, which is kind of an interesting, spooky kind of place. Makes sense for his style because he's got several different gears. He's got a, a solid kind of low, uh, harsh voice, kind of in a death metal style. He's got kind of a um, uh, blended, pitched, but slightly harsh kind of vocals, uh, kind of in the style of maybe a Gojira, seems like an analog. But he's got this excellent... Um, kind of high baritone sort of uh, rounded clean vocal sound that's really ethereal and mournful but powerful at the same time. Um, as somebody who sings in a similar range, I'm really impressed by what he brings to the table here. Um, creates some great melodies and really like the album title Access All Worlds is appropriate because it literally like the, the concept is the voyage of some sort of spacecraft that's going to all these different worlds that present these bleak and uh and kind of fascinating vistas and so i really appreciate the journey this album uh takes me on and uh i've, I've enjoyed listening to it it's revealed new things on repeated listens um new interesting little corners so might be your thing if uh might not but definitely i uh, think it deserves to be checked out because it really has a unique and powerful sound uh, the band Yotun, and the album Access All Worlds. It is definitely like, it's cool, man. It's a cool record. It isn't like 100% my thing, but I definitely appreciate it. And I do, I do like it. And it does deserve a spot on the top down list. Mm -hmm. like, I, I agree. Um, and if you like it that much, you know, it, you, you shouldn't worry. I mean, there's enough elements there that it fits. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, number three for me is one we talked about on the podcast. Um, which it was also on your honorable, honorable mentions list. It is the definitely the thrashiest record we have ever talked about. And that is Flotsam and Jetsam, Blood in the Water. Um, this 
this album is just like it really just gets me fired up um it reminds me of the things i like i used to be a total thrash kid back in the day you know i was you know i never like wore the jean jackets or the patches or anything like that but you know i was definitely a thrasher um and this reminds me of all the things i really liked about it it's a very it's got a very big bold modern production um and it's just it's just wicked, man. It's a great mix of, it's got that mix of like power metal and traditional metal sprinkled in there with the thrash metal. It's got a nice, uh, nice mix of all three. I really enjoy that balance. Um, it's easily the best drumming I heard all year. I think this mm. is the Ken Mary record, I believe. It is, yeah. And he is just absolutely phenomenal. Like, especially his hand speed is just like second to none. I mean, there's a lot of drummers these days that are fast that, you know, their double kicks are off the charts, but this dude is is like that, but he's got that crazy hand speed and he can make really tasteful fills. The drumming is not just berserk, but it's also like really classy. Uh, production, again, I talked about is big, it's modern, but it's not like typewriter drums and totally sampled everything. Um, it's, it's very well produced. Um, this is a band that's been making a lot of great records in, in the modern era. Um, you know, of course, the classic Doomsday for the Deceiver, everybody knows all that stuff, but you know, they really, the last couple of records have been awesome. Um, the highlight for me of this record is Grey Dragon. That's one of my favorite songs of 2021. I listen to that one all the time. Uh, it's great. Uh, Reaggression is awesome. Uh, the title track, Blood in the Water, is wicked. Band fires on all cylinders. There's just not much I can say about it because it's not many flaws to point out or anything, but yeah, Blood in the Water, Flotsam and Jetsam, really awesome record. I hope that we can, we were supposed to play with these guys in 2020. Um, it was gonna be a Friday night at El Corazon. We were gonna be direct support. I really hope that that show and that tour gets made up because I'd love to play with them again. We saw them, we saw them open for Hammerfall, right? That's right, yeah. That's right, yeah, they opened for Hammerfall. They were absolutely fantastic that night, so. Really hope they come back. Really happy that this band. I mean, here's a band that kind of has the stigma of being like a lot of people see this. Jason Newstead's old band went on to be in Metallica. And I'm like, nah, man. They're Flotsam and Jetsam. They're their own thing. Then they, and they've got their own legacy, and and it, and it's it's really cool. And I love this record. Number three, Flotsam and Jetsam, Blood Noir. Yeah, man. I re I really like those guys, and they've kept their distinctive thing going the whole time since the '80s. Um, and produced a lot of, of music that's that's had integrity to it. And, and now it seems like they're really like hitting their stride, kind of combining all the things they've been working on over the years. And what I like about them is that that contrast between the thrashy riffing and then there's a sense of melody kind of reaching over it. A lot of thrash bands, you get vocalists that just kind of like bark out vocals more or less in the same rhythm as the drums and the and the guitars, but what flotsam singer does is really add this other dimension of melody that interacts with the thrashy bits and i guess that's why it, it has like a that, that power thrash kind of connection is because it does have like power metal quality vocals with thrash quality uh riffing and rhythm section and so yeah absolutely deserves to be on that list hell yeah all right uh, so yeah number two for me um was a little bit of a surprise late in the year. You mentioned this in your honorable mentions, but um, also from Philadelphia, uh, Morgul Blade, Bell Sorcery Abounds. I just I really love this album because it's just, 
a combination of so many things I like and so many of the things I like to hear in metal. It's, it's nerdy. It's, uh, it transports you to a, a different kind of realm, but it's got an emotional honesty to it. Um, I think part of the reason why this kind of got me personally is it really combines a lot of the stuff I was hearing like 10, 15 years ago when I was a kid and getting into metal. Um, and then combining that with the stuff that I'm listening to and performing now. And I think it's just so exciting that like people are reaching back into this area and, and, and pulling stuff out and combining it with um, some of these more traditional elements. There's some things on this album that kind of remind me of um, the first couple Insiferum records with Yari Menpov, I think I've mentioned before, um, but with more complex riffing and with some cool atmospheric touches. You got some dungeon synth in there. You've got some kind of callbacks to classic video games. You've got Lord of the Rings touches uh, in the lyrics, but it's not exclusively about that. Um, there's black metal style stuff. There's harsh vocals. There's some excellent clean vocals actually uh, sung in a more folk type style with some really cool harmonies. They've got like a completely acoustic song that has its own kind of unique vibe. That's kind of a, a, a mix of um, folk music and traditional metal. Uh, and I just really enjoyed how much this kept me guessing while maintaining kind of an overarching spirit that all felt like it fits. But I, each song, I was not quite sure which they were, direction they were going to take. But by the end of it, I saw how the whole thing made a picture, how that more ambient stuff went with the more folk stuff, went with the more black metal stuff, went with the more Judas Priest type stuff. Um, so yeah, I just, I, this one really uh, got me in a place close to my heart where uh, it just combined a bunch of different stuff that I love. Um, and I think these guys seem like anyone who would make an album like this is probably a lot of fun. Can't wait to, you know, hear these guys hopefully get a chance to shake their hands when we play with them in Chicago, tell them how much I like this album uh, and see how some of this stuff carries over live. And uh, yeah, if you're a big nerd like we are, and if um, you like the kind of um, adventures in mom's basement style metal, yeah. um, <laughs> then you definitely want to check out Marvel Blade. <laughs> I love that. That rules. Yeah, man, I like this album a lot. I just needed to spend a little more time with it to, yeah. to make my big, make it have a shot on my big list. But yeah, I'm psyched for Legions. Man, I'm going to have to bring a lot of money for vinyl. Yeah. You have a lot of space and some form of lug luggage to bring it back. Maybe I'll just stuff it in my guitar case or something. Um, because yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of record shop that I'm going to be doing. I hope and hopefully the bands have records there for sale. All right, number two. Wow, we're already at number two. Um, this is an album we did on the podcast. This is an album you mentioned earlier. Um, this is my number two album, strictly because, you know, it, it's, it's completely subjective on my part. I just love this album so much. It's uh, Crystal Viper, The Cult. Um, this is my intro to the band. This is the first time I ever heard Crystal Viper. I know they've been around a long time. This is my intro to them. And I absolutely fucking love this record. I play it all the time. Um, I have it on vinyl. I bought like all the accoutrement that goes with it. Um, this album made me a lifelong fan of this band. Um, 
Whispers from Beyond was my favorite song of 2021 from any band, period. I love that song. It harkens back to all my favorite Dio songs. Um, and I think that's why I like it. I mean, this there's like um, a real Dio vibe to this whole this whole thing um, in a great way. Not in a rip-off way. They don't rip off any of his riffs. Um, it's just the vibe they, they put forth. And I even like watched a live stream of this band. And I fucking hate those for the most part <laughs> like I, you know a lot of people were watching these live streams of these bands and whatnot during the, the, the shutdown and I was like I hate this um but I actually watched one of them and I guess I really enjoyed seeing how these riffs were put together and it was a really cool performance um the the title track is another favorite of mine I even like the King Diamond cover it grew on me I was like I didn't hate it but at the time I was like why is this on the record you know but it really grew on me. I love this album when we reviewed it, um, but it grew on me even more. Uh, and when I got the vinyl and I spun it a couple times through my big stereo, I was like, oh, I just absolutely love this record. Um, Marta Gabriel is just such a badass, you know, singer, player, songwriter, you know, everything. Um, I love the artwork. Um, I love the packaging of the record. You know, this is just like, I don't know. I, I don't have a single bad thing to say about it. I don't have a single criticism. It's going to be in my playlist from now until forever. Um, if you don't ha haven't heard this yet, get off your ass and go listen to it. Crystal Viper, The Cult, you know, all the things Rev said about it earlier about having like some, the right vibe of like Eurovision and everything to create, to create its own unique thing is absolutely, his assessment is spot on there. Um, I like accent vocals too. I just do. I, you know, I like it when I can hear, you know, that's part of who the person is, you know, and, and I can't imagine how hard that actually is to try to sing in another language. If it's not your first to try to get all those articulations and maintain good diction and all those things got to be very difficult. Um, so props to her for doing that. And props to Crystal Viper for making my number two album of 2021, The Cult. And with that, we move into the number one position for 2021. All right. Well, I mean, when you're choosing a number one, yeah, you have to take certain things into account. Like sometimes something comes along that, that you know, exceeds expectations or, you know, comes out of nowhere. But sometimes you have to give respect to something that can like build up a lot of expectations and live up to it. And then also when uh, a project can have really high ambitions and then meet or even exceed um, the ambitions they set out. So with that in mind, um, here's a record that I know you talked about on the podcast. That was the time I had to take uh, a week off because I was running around in the woods with children pretending to be a knight of the round table. But uh, <laughs> um, that's pretty metal, though. Yeah, it, it was. Um, so anyway, my number one album from Hamburg, Deutschland, Halloween, with their self-titled album. Um, I'm not even really a big Halloween fan, traditionally. Like, I've checked out their music, but I haven't really dug in deep. But if, an al if a band can put out an album this late in their career and that someone like me, I can listen with really no context and just fall in love with it. Uh, I think that deserves 
a lot of respect because it's hard to, you know, a lot of times bands later in their career are kind of resting on their laurels, going off of the successes they've already had. Um, but Halloween really found, you know, it's hard when you set out to like, you're going to put out an album late in your career. It's going to be self-titled. The cover art's going to have all these references to their previous victories. It's going to have all the lead singers that they've ever had on one album. Like that's going to generate a lot of expectations. It's hard to live up to that, but I think they, they really, really did because this is just song after song of great melodies of just the joy of playing power metal. You know, they all clearly had so much fun and, and, what excites me about this is all the possibilities it opens up for ensemble singing. So fun to hear a band making an album with multiple lead singers in a way that works. Uh, I've heard it tried before in ways that really doesn't work. Um, and this time it really like feels like a collaboration. Like I'm sure these guys have their egos, but I'm not hearing it on this. It really sounds like a group of people that just really want wanted to get together and make something that was worthy of the Halloween project. And that really makes me respect the Halloween project that much more. Um, this album is just, it sounds great. I know they probably spent a fortune on the production, um, but it was worth it because it just is a real pleasure to listen to. There's some great songs in this album. The Fear of the Fallen is one of my favorite songs of the year. That melody just pops into my head at random times. I love the harmonies they have on there, the way they layer the vocals between the three singers. Um, one of my favorite tracks on this is actually the bonus track, Golden Times. Yeah, that's it's a cool great song. tune. Um, but it, it just really just opened my eyes to what a great band Halloween is. And um, I think to be able to late in a band's career to come along and do something that really uh, is done differently. I mean, you think about how many bands have had troubles like getting their different singers to get along. And then these guys come along and they just decide to collaborate and all do it together. Um, and it could have been really cheesy, but it's not. It, it really works because it's heartfelt um, and it's epic and it's the album's well constructed. Uh, it shows some restraint. It's not, it's long, but it's not too long. Um, they save their big epic track, Skyfall, for the end. Uh, it's put together in a way that it's not boring, even though it's 12 minutes long, which is not always easy to do. Uh, <coughs> Iron Maiden, we'll talk about that. Foreshadowing! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, so this this is, you know, the album that uh, got me into Halloween, finally. Their self-titled album. I'm sure you have some more to say about it too. Well, I won't say that, but I'm sure you have something to say about the fact that I think this is my number <laughs> one album. <laughs> I don't know, I, I might have a thing or two to say about yeah, it yeah. because Shock of all shocks, it's my number one album of the year, too, is the self-titled album by Halloween. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head when sometimes, like, you know, there's just subjective favorites, and those are the ones you just got to look at and go, yeah, that was the best thing that came out this year. You know, it really is. And the new Halloween, I mean, but I got to say, I was listening to this again last night um, just because I had friends over, and I put this on. And I was like, no, this is the best album that came out this year. <laughs> and, you know, even like, it, 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 I, I just love it. I love it. It's so fun. It's so, it's that great combination of like really fun music, really good songwriting, really good production and virtuosic playing. And it, everything kind of just really comes together. And the three singer thing is unique. Um, 
I don't know how I'm interested to see how repeatable it is um, going forward. If they decide to make more records with this format, I'm interested to see interested to see if it will have the same impact as it did on this one. I don't know that it will, um, but they are very talented. They're always one thing about Halloween is they've never really rested on their laurels. They've always tried something different for better or for worse. Like sometimes it's really work. Sometimes you get, you know, really, really weird albums. You get pink bubbles go ape, you know, and <laughs> like that's a legit album title by Halloween. And, you know, um, but yeah, this is honestly, I think from all standpoints, the best heavy metal album I've heard in years, like years. And for these guys at this stage of their career to put out something that sounds as good is nothing short of phenomenal. Um, I myself am a massive Halloween fan, have been for decades. Um, when they did this Pumpkins United thing, and I think it was 2018, um, I flew to Vegas to see them at the House of Blues in Las Vegas. And it was, I didn't, ex I knew it was going to be good. I didn't think it would be like a top 10 all-time show for me. And I've seen hundreds of shows. It's in my top 10, high in my top 10 shows of all time. Um, it seems like they're really having fun together. And that's really cool, especially with Kai Hansen back. Um, on guitar and handling some vocal duties. It's really cool to see them, you know, all united, you know, again, and, and just really having a kick-ass time. Um, my favorite song is the song Best Time. It's just, that song is a riot, oh, yeah. you know, it's, and I love I, any song that features the bass line. Of course, I'm going to like that, but that song is a riot. Um, the one, couple, you mentioned a couple of my favorites too. Um, Out for the Glory, which is the first, I guess, actual song. I think there's a bit of an intro thing that starts it off. But Out for the Glory is my one of my favorites. The title track, Skyfall, is, like you said, it's it's a 10-minute song that feels like a five-minute song. Um, like, it hits all the elements. It's It's got great production, great playing, this originality there. The songwriting is great but there's still familiarity. It sounds like Halloween. They're trying some new stuff, but they very much sound like them. You know, if you go, you, you, you listen to it, you instantly can tell that's Halloween. So, you know, and there's a lot of, I, I, I saw a lot of kind of, I don't know if I consider them trolls, but a lot of people, oh, I don't know why you guys are so into this record. It's too long. It's I'm like, dude, come on. Like, just come on. <laughs> if, if you're not like that into it, that's fine if, if it's not the favorite thing that came across your ears this year, that's fine. But you gotta give props for props you do. And you know, these guys deserve props for really, in my opinion, hitting the Grand Slam home run with this comeback album. Number one album of the year, consensus on Keepers of the Flame, the classic heavy metal podcast, is the self-titled record from Halloween. All right, and with that is a nice way to put a little bow on 2021. Uh, we've talked about all the albums we love. There was one very significant album that came out, however, um, in 2021. And you know, when we record, when we found out that we screwed up the first um, top ten list uh, podcast, we kind of talked about it, and I was like, you know, we didn't really talk about that Iron Maiden record at all. And that was whenever Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden are arguably the biggest heavy metal band of all time. You know, uh, it's, it's them and Black Sabbath and Priest and Metallica, uh, the, like kind of like the big four of the biggest bands of all time that are for bands you would call strictly heavy metal bands. Um, 
So when they put out a, a, a record, it's a, it's a big deal. And, you know, I, this album came out, I think, the day before I got shot in Boise. I'm pretty sure that's it what did. it came out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I listened to it on the way there with Nate. Yeah. So that, yeah. that, explains, uh, that explains why uh, we couldn't do it. But we are going to talk about the new Iron Maiden record, Senjutsu, right now. Um, so a little background on this record. I mean, I don't need to give anybody background on Iron Maiden. I don't think if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Iron Maiden is probably. If you're a casual listener and you don't know who Iron Maiden is, go listen to Number of the Beast or Peace of Mind or Killers or the self-titled or Seventh Son of a Seventh Son and just figure out the, why they're one of the biggest bands of all time. Um, this is their 17th studio full-length album. It came out on the 3rd of September, 2021, um, on Perefini Records, which I guess is probably, I don't know what the hell that is, but it must be like their own label or something at this point or a division of whatever it is. Um, but yeah, Iron Maiden came out with a new record in 2021. And I think it's a really weird one. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely a weird one. There's... Um has its moments but uh it's got some real head scratches on here and we knew we had to talk about it because you know we talked about it for a little bit kind of to wrap up our first attempt at doing our top 10 list and some of the most fun we had that whole night and probably some of the funniest stuff we said was when we were just ranting about this album and how weird it was so yeah and it kind of stems from the fact i mean it's on either one of our top 10 lists obviously you've heard what our top 10 albums were and so neither one of our honorable mentions of the year and you know what honestly doesn't deserve to be every single record we talked about in my opinion is better than this one um and it's not to say that this album totally sucks or is embarrassing or is some kind of an abomination it's just really weird and in my opinion really boring um the, and the weirdness starts with the album cover and the title. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, in general, there's, there's definitely some real head-scratcher decisions on this. And it, this was making me think that, you know, you oftentimes when you see people do reviews, they have these different metrics, right? So they'll give like star ratings for the production, for the performances, for the songwriting. Sure. But this kind of makes me think that there is a, there should be another metric, which is like, I don't know what the best word to use for it would be, but kind of album conception or like architecture of the album. Like yeah. What songs do you include? What order do you include them in? How does the content relate to the visual presentation of the album? I think all of that stuff is really important uh, and doesn't often get discussed. And it's in that area where I think this album makes its biggest blunders it doesn't like we 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 can talk about the material and we will talk about the material itself the songs themselves which also have some odd choices but just the the way this album is put together just does not make sense to me no Um, you're right you're right it doesn't it doesn't and it comes again it starts with the damn title and, and the artwork you know, you talk, we talked about the, how the Blaze Bailey album had this honesty and integrity about it. What do samurais have to do with, like, old British dudes? I don't know, but check <laughs> it out. Like, on Apple Music, Eddie comes to life and waves his sword around. Well, that's pretty cool. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're a bunch of people who live in Washington. We're not going to make, a, a, you know, a song about, like, you know, 
I don't know, Buddhist monks or something. Like, you know, we don't, we're, that's just not us. You know, it's, it's a stretch, you know, and, and it, it, I don't, I'm not going to go so, to talk about how it may be like it's cultural appropriation or anything like that. It's just a weird fucking choice to make for a cover and a title. And it doesn't seem to relate to a lot of the subject matter that's discussed in the songs. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, as near as I can figure, Senjutsu um, in Japanese is kind of, it means the art of war sort of but more specifically like the art of tactics and strategy yeah, yeah so like war from like a general or an admiral's perspective and there is a little bit of a theme going on and, and that's the kind of stuff that that um iron maiden's been into for a long time like these are kind of nerdy guys in their own way too but there is kind of like this is a lot of songs about war and about like big themes like people experiencing the death of their culture and like the losing a war experience. And yeah. And I, and I get that, but you know, you know what I mean? I just think that using it, using this context to go that route is a strange choice given like the band themselves and their traditional imagery. It's true. Yeah. And, and with the, the heavily like Japanese themed cover art and presentation does seem a little odd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also even just the, the cover of just like, it's just a picture of Eddie. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, and Iron Maiden has some classic covers, but I think a lot of those have to kind of, it's about, the, again, the atmosphere they create. So For sure. It, they, they do create, and, and, the, and you know, they're also following like a, a pretty legendary art legacy, but still, this one is weird to me. But I mean, the music itself, to me, overall, I mean, we can leave the cover alone for now. Like, I can talk about some of the positives and things I liked. I mean, of course, I like Steve Harris's bass tone. Like, it's him. When he plugs those strings, you know it's him, and it's ever-present, and it, it's as classic and as loud and clangy as it always is, and it's awesome. Um, and he's great. Um, I like Nico's drumming on a lot of these tracks. Mm -hmm. Like, it's the, the drumming is really, really well done. I actually kind of like how the drums were recorded. They sound do they do sound pretty raw. Um, and it doesn't sound like a lot. There's a lot of editing or anything. Um, and I thought the guitar soloing is spot on too. Like there's some great solos on here. Mm -hmm. Unsurprising because you know you got you know three amazing guitar players in Iron Maiden, three of the best ever. Um, but overall, it just sounds like it's a really tired, slow plotting record to me. Yeah, I mean the tempi on this are are glacial by heavy metal standards like, <laughs> and, and and something that I, I was thinking about when we were talking about this is i have been told and, and i'm not i don't know i'm not a neuroscientist or anything but my understanding is that as human beings age their perception of time changes and not just in terms of like oh i've been alive for 65 years i think in the case of steve harris is 65 or so and bruce is what mm -hmm. 63 um but in terms of moment to moment, like the actual perception of time as it passes changes because of the neurology of the brain. And so old people experience things a little bit more slowly. Like there's actually a physical and neurological reason why elderly people drive slower. Hmm. Um, in classical music, you get a lot of conductors. Uh, you can, a conductor 
can stay alive well into their 80s and 90s, right? And continue to work. Um, but there's definitely a noticeable effect is that a conductor conducting Beethoven's Fifth Symphony at 53 and then at 73, uh, it's going to be slower in their 70s, almost always. It's something sure. that's like a well-known fact. Um, it just has to do with the human body and, and what happens as we march towards oblivion, <laughs> I guess. And then I think that's what we're hearing here. Is this an album made by some uh, older men? Which doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, in this particular case, uh, I think the whole thing is complicated by the fact that they clearly, that there's not an editor. Somebody wasn't there saying, these songs need to be shorter, this album needs to be shorter. And they didn't have to make tough decisions about which of these songs to keep, which is how we ended up with an album which is like 128 minutes long. It's according. so long, dude. It, it was really hard. And uh, before we go too further into this, I just want to pump their brakes and say, hey, by no means are we like trying to make fun or shit on Iron Maiden here. No. They're, uh, I love Iron Maiden. You know, we're both fans of the band. This, to me, doesn't take away from their legacy. They have earned the right to do whatever the hell they want. We are reviewing this strictly as a new album. Right. And I think it, it also, it is nice to review an album that, like, these aren't our friends and our scene. These aren't, these guys didn't, like, self-finance their first album purely out of passion. I mean, it, it is passionate, but, like, mm -hmm. we're not... <laughs> we're not going to be clipping anybody's wings or like be okay. stepping on it. Yeah, exactly. Iron Man's going to be, it is nice to have the freedom to just be perfectly honest without, you know, feeling sad because I'm Facebook friends with, you know, Steve Harris because I'm yeah, not. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so he's probably not going to care what I think about his album. Although, uh, kind of like you said, like, there's actually a lot about this I enjoyed. Um, a lot of these moments are quite good. The production hit or miss but some of it's great i really like the drums i think nico's killing it honestly like it sounds great to me i really enjoyed the drumming on it i think bruce's voice sounds pretty good on a lot of this yeah, we should um, point that out that he's he still has it he hasn't lost it you know he still has it and he's making sensible choices like he's singing in a slightly more baritonal way natural given like that he's aging a little bit um it, it's a more restrained performance but uh it's I think on the whole, quite well done. Um, the voice sounds good. The vocal production sounds good. Um, the way the harmonies are added, the way the effects are put on there is very tasteful. It all works out to his advantage. So it's, it's very professional. I think it's, it's uh, yet another feather in Bruce's cap, not, you know, and he has many at this point, uh, but the fact that he's still got it and he's able to tell these stories effectively. Um, I do think that the material he was given to work with uh, was not always top tier by Iron Maiden standards. I, 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 I would have fully agree that with that, maybe even by heavy metal bands. By standards, anyone's standards, I'm yeah. I'm just going to be real. Like, I, 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 yeah, I, I wouldn't be happy with these songs if, if I was making a record and I was going to put them out. Um, I, yeah, and the production is interesting to me. Like, in a way, it's cool because it is stripped down. It's not big and bold and loud. Um and I do enjoy some aspects of that, but it makes it underwhelming. Um, you know, that's the, the this, this product, your production is supposed to like, you know, you're going to sound like if, if you're not, unless you're flying samples in and, and processing everything a lot, you're going to sound like 
what your guitar sounds like. You're going to sound like your bass, your voice, your drums. That's what you're going to sound like. But the production is meant to like, you know, basically bring it all together and kind of give it that unif unified sound that you're going to project out of two speakers um, when people hear it. And, you know, there's many different direct ways you could go with that. Um, they seem to go for not a lot of production. It's very raw. It's very stripped down. And there's times where I'm like, yeah, this is cool. It sounds like a band jamming, you know? And then there's times where I'm like, this is lame. You know, this is really, really lame and boring. Um, yeah, so. there's, a, there's a lot of repetition here. I mean, the, uh, the, the most baffling thing on the whole thing, though, for me is the synth. Yeah. <laughs> it's really like just the strangest, strangest <laughs> choice. Like it, every song, except one, I think, except one song, every song is just laden with the blandest like strings pad from a thrift store Casio that you ever heard. Every song, and it's 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 impossible to ignore and it's I have no idea why it's there because it it does nothing. It conveys no emotion. It conveys no sense of atmosphere or drama. It's just there. But it's like aggressively there. But yeah. it does nothing. It's not, like, it, yeah, it's not like sometimes when you have a song like, you know, and I, there's actually on our first EP, there are a couple songs with like real low drones over certain parts to fill it out. Yeah. Um, and bands will do that. They'll put like, you know, just if you need to fill out the overall sound and atmosphere or think of something up, you put something, but it's so subtle. Yeah. It's so subtle that it's literally not even really detectable to the human ear. Like you don't know it's there unless you took all the other tracks away and you hear, right? Like, but this is like really present. Like it, it's, it's annoying and like it is distracting in every damn song. Yeah, and it's it's like yeah, it, and it's only on like the high part of the synth, and like just the right hand. Another is playing, like, choice. Yeah. <laughs> just on every song. I mean, Nate can tell you because when we were driving out to Boise, we listened to the whole thing, and I just had this growing sense of like you know you know by track four or so, I'm like, man, the synth. Why? Why is this here? By the time we've gotten through an hour and a half of every single song being absolutely laden with this shockingly bland synth tone, it's just like by, by the end of the album, the first listen through, I was like, what? What are they doing? <laughs> I started having that reaction every time it came on because it's just like I could not understand why a band that has all the resources in the world to make an album would just like slather every song with this one particular tone it's like i mean you're a chef would you put the same sauce on every single course of the meal and even dessert like, no you wouldn't like get some really bland cream sauce to just put with everything right. like that just it would just be people would be like why are they doing this even if it tastes like nothing they'd be like why is this here you know like exactly it's 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 you know i noticed it too it's just it's it's very, very bizarre. I don't understand what purpose it serves. If you want to put synth on it, hey, Iron Maiden's done great things with synth before. Listen to Seventh Sun. Sure. You know? And I did today. I mean, in, yeah. in part to prepare for this, I threw on Seventh Sun because I was like, this uses synth. And I just needed to, like a taste of what Iron Maiden 
does well, you know, and did well. So I could kind of put this in, in context and perspective. And it was like, oh yeah, like the synth is always serving a purpose. And I know it was controversial yeah. at the time, like Moonchild, you get that. Sure. But it, 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 it really like paints the picture. It creates the world and it was new for them at the time. But this is just... Get that it, out of there now. It's just <laughs> legitimately the, the most baffling decision I've heard made on a heavy metal album, especially from a, a major legacy band, possibly ever, because it just is, a, it's simultaneously a really like strong choice while saying absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's yeah, just, it's just a, a real, said it before, but a head scratcher. So uh, I don't know. Do you want to go into with some of these tracks? Let's uh, go to some of them. You know, well, we don't have to go like deep, deep, deep into every single one because I don't yeah, think we, they, we've been I don't think for they, a while. I don't, I, well, I don't think they warrant it. Um, right. To be honest with you, but you know, starts off with the title track, and this song is it's okay. Um, it's another one of those like, yay, we're going into battle. Like it's like here yeah. we go. Um, it, it's it's okay. Um, it hit me with some Power Slave vibes. Um, this whole sure. album, there's a lot of songs that kind of did that for me. Um, but it's eight fucking minutes, and it's yeah. Like, it's to me this song feels like an intro. I mean, it's the title track, and it starts off pretty well. It starts off with the with the drums that are I think meant to evoke taiko drumming. Yes, know, yes. And it's cool, um, and and that fits with the theme they have going, and with like the martial Japanese theme they have going. But then the same thing goes on for eight minutes. I know, and that's the problem. If this was a four-minute song, it'd probably be pretty cool. But it's like, yeah. I, I can't make it through the end because it's an eight-minute song with, like, minimal dynamics. Right, minimal dynamics and a, and a you know, low to mid-tempo. Dum, 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 yeah, it's plotting. All the way through. Yeah. I and... will say, uh, I, I don't know who plays it, which guitarist, but... The last solo on this track, like the outro solo, starting at like the seven and a half minute mark or something, was sick. I really dug that yep. one. No, I mean, it's, it, it is. And some of my favorite solos of all time are, are Iron Maiden, or Iron Maiden solos. The first solo in the song Power Slave is, you know, oh, yeah. is one of my favorite solos of all time. Um, so next we get uh, Stratego. Um, a song named after a board game. Yeah, that's not after a board game. Um, so this has like the signature Iron Maiden gallop. Like if you're to, you know, associate galloping rhythms with any band, it's Iron Maiden because they've done it probably better than than anyone. I really like uh, a lot of the guitar harmonies that go on underneath the vocals on this song. They're really cool and really catchy, I thought. Um, this is one of my favorite songs on the record. Um yeah. It's got a pretty, it's got a kind of a weird chorus, but it's pretty catchy. And it's kind of like a, a cadence that Bruce has used before on Iron Maiden records. And I do like it. It kind of reminded me of like some Brave New World kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, this song, this song tapped out at five minutes, which is about how long as it should be. And, you know, it's, it's nothing amazing, um, but it's, it's a cool track. I liked it. Yeah, I, I dug it. I mean, the, the, the chorus melody, like, there's something there that's reminding me of something else because I think there's a lot of things that are similar to it. That da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he's he's used that melody before. Yeah, and a lot of like this one particular song. I'm thinking. I feel it's like the Eagles or something. Okay. It, it seems like a little out of place. <laughs> fair, no, fair. But but the song was was basically cool. I think so. 
uh, when I've been looking up the, um, the, the lyrics here, it also shows who wrote the song. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one was a Yannick, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Yannick. Oh, Yannick Garris. Yannick Garris track. I want to say that most of the songs that worked were either Yannick Garris or Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson songs. Most of the songs that didn't work um, or the ones that most fully didn't work are Steve Harris songs, yeah, in my opinion. And that's that's kind of been a bit of a trend, you know. I mean, I mean, Bruce worked with Yannick and uh, Adrian on his solo records, yeah. Um, so I think they do have a writing dynamic. I mean, maybe there's maybe there's like two writing camps in the band. I don't know, but yeah, that's that's an interesting observation. Um, um, and one more thing about Stratego is just, I mean, it's, I could say this about any song, but just seconding what you said, I think that I really enjoyed the drums on this record. Oh, for sure. I, the more I listened to it, the more that became one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, absolutely. The drumming on this one is really cool too. And um, you can, it just, there's a lot of clarity to it and you can really hear everything that Nico's doing. And I, I appreciated that because I've always really enjoyed his playing. Yeah, me too. Um, so the next one is Writing on the Wall. And I believe this was the single um, that it they was. released. Um, it's kind of a weird song. Um, again, like I didn't, I, when this came out, I remember not really knowing what to think. Um, I didn't outright hate it, but it's got like a, almost like a twangy Southern rock guitar thing going on a little mm -hmm. bit. I don't even really know how to describe it. Um, you know, it's okay. It has some like folky elements to it in, in a weird way. Um, I don't know. I kind of thought this was a funky little track, but when I did hear this as a single, I was concerned. And I was like, this is the single, and there's like this much meandering and strange shit in this single. This is going to be a weird record. I remember yeah. thinking that. And yeah, it was definitely an odd choice. The prophecy was fulfilled. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's an odd little song. Um, one that I don't really know what to think of. Like, there's some cool melodies and some cool hooks in it. There is the damn synth. Um, and... You know, it's just. I think isn't this the. Oh, this only, is the one where this, this is the one the, where only one word's not there. Yeah, it's the only one track not there. Sync. Yeah, you, that's right. You get you get this is the one we get the re, the reprieve from it. Maybe because it's the single. I don't know, but again, it's a weird song. But you know, it, it's okay. It doesn't stick around too long. Um, if this wasn't like considered the lead track, it probably would be a solid song later in a record. But you know, yeah, you you tend you tend to want to come in pretty with some pretty heavy artillery at number three on a record like that's where you kind of stick like your catchiest song a lot of times. And it, once again, with the, like the, the album architecture being off somehow. Yeah. But this seems like a weird choice at number three. Absolutely is. Um, although I will say that just in terms of, uh, it, it still is a standout track because it has a distinct flavor and it's a, a flavor yeah. that's like a little bit more distinct from other Iron Maiden material. Like it, it and that's my guess is that's probably why they chose it as a single because it doesn't sound like B-grade Iron Maiden stuff. It kind of has its own flair to it um, mm -hmm. that's a little different from their other material. And so for that, you know, you get points, points for that. Points, yeah, points like for sure, sure. Like I said, it just, it's just, a, it's, an odd, it's an oddball track. It's a strange one to be at number three. Um, right. Interesting choice for a single, but I, I can see what you, what you mean by if they wanted to put something out there it's a little bit different so um and then we get lost in a lost world funniest song title i've heard in a long time i was and like <laughs> this is like that's a spinal tap song 
title. You know, I, I laughed. I mean, maybe it's based <laughs> on something or it's a book that I'm not getting, picking up on or some kind of historical reference, but I laughed when I was like lost in a lost world. Well, you're yeah, very fucking lost then, aren't you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's and it's, man, it, 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 it's kind of an appropriate title because it's just like meanders through nine and a half minutes. It's lost. And it just, it never, to me, it never finds where it's trying to go. I can see lyrically it's trying to be seemingly maybe about like indigenous people or Native Americans maybe and that feeling of uh, kind of losing their, their livelihood and being conquered and all that. It's, it's kind of the flavor I'm getting from the lyrics. It's rich but to hear like, British people sing about that shit. If well, is. yeah. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of things we could mention kind of along those lines with yeah. just the like, you know, they, they, they do have that little bit of like British imperialism stuff. And that, that's the, the world they were raised in. They were raised in the 60s. In Certainly. The 60s. Uh, um, but yeah, it, whatever they're trying to do for this, this, this is one of the weakest songs of the album to my mind. I am with you. I did not like this at all. Um, the strumming acoustic intro, like I like stuff like that a lot. I'm a big fan of acoustic passages and stuff. This one was just kind of making me chuckle a little bit because just because of the Spinal Tap reference, I was just picturing like little people dancing around, you know, so it's going to make me <laughs> chuckle right away. Um, well, if you like acoustic intros to nine minute songs, good news. We have like five. Like yeah, there's, a right there's a lot more. There's a lot more. But yeah, this song sticks around for nine minutes. It is just very plodding. It's very mid paced. And, you know, one thing, you know, that we mentioned when we were discussing this album and kind of like our, when we were just getting ready to go on uh, on the air, um, you know, Bruce kind of only has one or two voices that he sings in or two or three voices that he sings in. He sings full tilt a lot of the times. Like he is belting it out. And it works if the music matches what he's doing. But when it doesn't, like here, where it's just kind of like, you know, plodding along in a mid-pace, he just kind of sounds like a crazy person screaming frantically at the top of his lungs over a riff that doesn't really match the melody that he's doing vocally. Yeah. You know, it just, it just, it, it just kind of like a couple of things about this song made me chuckle, like the acoustic intro, the title, and then just like kind of picturing Bruce in like a straight jacket screaming his head <laughs> off the top of his lungs, you know, so I kind of got a kick out of this, but by the time the nine minute mark came around, I was really, really freaking tired of this song. Um, this is definitely one of the weaker ones on the record. And yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, I will say like, I mean, I've got no problem with 10 minute songs I mean, no. Opeth, my favorite band's Opeth for Christ's sake but like I've never particularly been a fan of Iron Maiden's take on those like no I mean we just we just praise strongest pieces yeah we just praise Skyfall by Halloween which is another yeah. 10 minute song but it also has distinctive parts in it like there's it's telling a story you can follow the story there's various emotions all the parts flow well into each other this is one tempo one vibe one almost like one riff for like nine minutes which is various melodies singing and solos over it yeah and you get the junk, 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 junk. and sometimes there's a solo and sometimes it's just junk, 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 for 16 and, bars and, yeah right. and there's nothing wrong with junk, 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 just not for right. nine whole minutes yeah you know? uh, then we get the first speaking of funny titles we get the first of two uh what seems like time travel songs yeah the days um, of future past 
Yeah, this one seems to be about like the story of the wandering Jew or the flying Dutchman, someone who's like doomed to wander the world, not die. I guess. Oh, so. I kind of this one was this one was one of the highest energy songs on the album. Um, yeah. And and I basically liked it. I, I found myself thinking the last time I listened to it, like, this could have been a good album opener, actually, to actually kickstart things with some energy. Yeah, it's a little bit, it has a little more energy. It's a little more mid-paced than plotting. Um, I didn't really have anything great or bad to say it again. It's over eight minutes. Um, but it's not a bad song. I mean, I didn't really, like, you know, I think I was my brain was getting worn out by this point in the record. But my I'm my well, one this of, one's this one's a four minute one. Oh, it's a four minutes. Okay. Yeah, this mind. is the one that was like a little quicker and a little. It was oh, little, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. That, I wrote that some. I wrote that for another song. Yeah, this one is a little quicker. Um, yeah, I got it. I got to confuse another one. But yeah, yeah it's um, it, it's a it's a decent little track. Um, I didn't didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Um, yeah, just, but it's it's in the style of classic Iron Maiden and. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's a necessary addition to their catalog, but it's one. Of, I was thinking like sometimes I think about this. If I had to make an EP out of this to try to yeah. like refine it to the the songs that actually matter on this, I, I might have included this one. Yeah, I probably would have put that one on there too. It's it's not bad. And then we skip ahead to the next time travel song, the Time Machine. The Time Machine, which actually. The more I listen to it, the more this is actually one of my favorite tracks on the album. I, I like this one. Yeah, um, I wrote nothing to report. <laughs> it was one of my yeah. things. I was like, this is fine. Um, this is fine. It's not obnoxious. It's just seven more minutes of mid-paced. But. Yeah, I think what I liked about it is it, like, in the lyrics and in Bruce's delivery and a little bit in the rhythm of the main riff, it, again, there's an acoustic intro and outro. Yeah. Um, but it had a little bit of a playful vibe to it. Like it seems fun. And a lot of this album is very like straight faced, which combined with the plotting tempi and the just kind of bland orchestration just doesn't work. This one, the time machine has a little bit of, a little bit of fun to it, a little bit of mischief to it. And that's something I like about Iron Maiden that I kind of miss from their earlier stuff is that sense of like, playfulness and we're gonna have a good time and um and a little bit of the like can i play with madness like wink to it i detected a little bit of that in this song for that reason i liked it and it did stand out for me that's cool i mean i think i i think this album just beat the shit out of me by this point and yeah like, and a few times i started at different points to try to like actually understand what the songs are but also because after this track we like plunge over the cliff into just like endless slowness oh yeah which leads us into darkest hour which is their ballad type song yeah i think iron maiden has never done particularly well um if you look back at like their slower songs like i guess blood brothers is probably the better one that they've done and even that stuff that they're right home about right. they're really just not good at this because bruce just doesn't he's not a ballad guy yeah. he's always you know wham like he's always belting it out full speed um full volume and that doesn't always lend itself well it doesn't usually lend itself to great ballad singing um i thought placement wise this would have been a great place for a ballad if the other songs all weren't slow yeah you know um I, and i just like 
you know, wish the vocals would have like, you know, changed the dynamics a little bit. Um, if the song was shorter and the other songs were, did, were a little more lively, this probably would have been cool here. Um, but as it is with the other songs being so slow and this one being long and slow, it's a slog. It's a slog. It's a, yeah, it's definitely a slog. I think it's about Winston Churchill, which again with the British thing. Yeah, um, which at least yeah. at least that's something they know about. It's true. Yeah. It's it's wheelhouse stuff for them, but also yeah. I don't know. I mean, these last four songs Love by too. length, the last four <laughs> songs are longer than Peace of Mind. Yeah, when we when I got to when I got through when I was listening to this and I got partway through this song, I picked it up. I like looked up how long the last three won. And I texted you, I think, mm -hmm. at that point, and I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can't fucking believe I have half an hour left to go with this. Yeah. Like, this is not enjoyable. This is no. really, like, this is almost punishment. Like, they could put this, like, if people were doing community service, they could put this record on and be like, you can go home when this record's over. <laughs> detention. <laughs> yeah, that's a detention. When, when Iron Maiden stops, you can go home. Because, yeah, it's an hour and a half, man. It's like, ugh, it's the, it's, a, it's the length of a feature film, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't need to be. Um, again, this has, like, some of the melodies in this song and some of the parts and some of the passages are good. But, goddamn, they just, it just goes on and on and on. And, again, like, all the other songs on this record, like you talked about, constructing a record and creating dynamics and telling a story throughout the record and planning out what goes where. This would have been great in this spot. This is the right spot for a ballad, but not with the dynamics of the other songs. Now. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you get, I don't know, in, in this classic heavy metal style, if you want to put a 10-minute song at the end of your, your album, you get one. That's fine. Iron Maiden done that several times. Alexander yeah. the Great, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Like they do it's the whole it's half of the second half of this fucking album. Right. You you get one. You don't get four. You how get many one uh, what? How many uh, discs do you think the vinyl is? Six? Like you can only <laughs> you can only fit like two of these songs on a on a side. Um, yeah. Yeah, you don't you, and that, that was the thing that kind of shocked me. Like, all right, now we're getting to the big epic closer of the album. Oh, and then the next song is, is that supposed to be the big epic closer of the album? You can't just put, well, I guess Darkest Hour is only what, eight minutes, but you can't. Yeah. Put, there's three 10 minute songs. Yeah, man. And the like the, the next one is Death of the Celts. And this is like, this really reminds me of the Blaze Bailey era albums. Um, it's like their song "The Clansman," but like super long and lame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is and this is like a pet peeve of mine. You can't just like play some like scales in six eight and call it Celtic music. Like exactly. it's just like straight up Celtic music is a real thing, and yeah, it has some of those characteristics. But like that's in a few metal bands have done this, and it, it always bugs me. It's like. We're gonna play the Irish song, and you can tell because it goes dun 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 Oh god! I know. Stop that. Yeah. So yeah, Death of the Celts is like that's a that's. The song stinks. This song stinks, and it's like like they have that song the Clansman on one of the Blaze albums, and it stinks. I mean, there are some cool instrumental passages of this song, but it's just so long. 
It's so slow. The concept is so lame. Like it kind of like picks up at 5:20, and it's like yeah. again, it's lame take on Irish music, but something different happened, and I was like, oh, something different. And then it went. That's all it did for the rest. It of the went song. back to just like yeah, yeah. So like we're just gonna repeat stuff over and over again. So yeah, also, this one like this one sucks. As a uh, you know the, the the like Irish Republican in me is slightly bothered by the fact that we're doing a song about like Winston Churchill that's talking about like Sons of Albion awake, and then we're gonna do a song called Death of the Celts. And I'm like, yeah, how are the fans in Dublin gonna react to this? It's like I don't know. They probably don't care. But. It's remedial. It's, reme- <laughs> it's remedial history class. Is kind of what it is. Yeah, it is, and yeah, it's. These last three songs are all Yeah, I mean I feel like I feel like part like was it Parchment and Hell on Earth, we could kinda like talk about them in the same breath. I literally fell asleep during Parchment. Oh the first yeah. time I listened to it. Well, I fell asleep and I had to wake up and rewind it. And then I fell asleep weird. again. <laughs> yeah, this like, is the one it's trying to be exotic. It's got the Middle Eastern scales, it's got the Aladdin stuff with you know, it's got the flat second. Da, 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 da. You know, oh, so it sounds exotic. But that one, at least there's some movement towards the end. It does kind of pick up a little bit. But but then, yeah, uh, then we get another. And then by, by then, if I'm listening through, the only way I could listen to Hell on Earth was just like opening the album and playing that song. Because I yeah. couldn't. I'd, the funny thing, though, and I don't know why this, this could just be a cool, like some sort of... The Death of the Celts, I go to like, the lyrics, this is written by Steve Harris. The Parchment, written by Steve Harris. Hell on Earth, written by Stephen Percy Harris. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure why that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why they would do that. But yeah, Hell on Earth, I, I honestly, I'll be real with you. I can't even remember that song right now. Well, I had to listen to it a couple of times to find something to talk about. And, and honestly, it's not bad. Like it, it, melodies wise, it's, it's the best of the three, I think. So yeah. why they couldn't just cut the other two, cut 20 minutes out of it. Honestly, cut Darkest Hour 2 and have a seven track album. Cool. Would have been a lot, it would have been a lot better. It would have been a lot easier to listen to. I just, you know, self-editing is a thing. And I get it. It's Maiden. I get it. They're old, they're old guys. They've earned their stripes. They can do what they want. But why would you do that? I just, I don't understand the logic. I don't understand. I'll never understand. Like, oh, like, I've heard like, oh, it's Maiden. They don't even have to care anymore. I've never understood the logic of not caring about a piece of art that you're going to put out there for the public to consume, for your fans to consume, for the people who have like supported you for decades. And again, I don't think there's this. This album isn't insulting. It's not some kind of abomination or anything ter- terrible. It's just aggressively boring and kind of, kind of crappy. And I'm shocked to see it on so many top ten lists this year because I just don't understand it. Um, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of these legacy bands that I think it's just you know. And, you know, we got ticket, another interesting development we could talk about, touch on briefly is, you know, we got tickets to see Judas Priest coming up in March. They just decided to be a four piece. Yeah, I heard about um, that. Which is a really strange decision. I don't really get that. Why they, I mean, at this point, it's like kind of Halford and Friends, you know, like, I mean, Ian Hill and, and Scott Travis are still there. So it's, you know, still a lot of the nucleus of the band is of what they've been for the past 
40 years is still there. But, you know, it's just time for some of these guys to go, you know. Just, like, it's time to ride off into the sunset, and it's time to just, like, call it a day. You know, if you want to – if you need to tour and play the hits to make money, tour and play the hits to make money. But – Well, yeah, and I'm, like – Like, Sinjutsu. It just makes me wonder, like, to what extent, if any, was, was playing live part of the conception of this because – you know, for a legacy band like this, they don't really have the luxury of playing five songs from their new album. Like well, I'll say, I'll say this. I mean, they've been a legacy band for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. the first time I saw Iron Maiden was in the year 2000 on the Brave yeah. New World Tour. And I would say they were a legacy band then. But they also put out Brave New World, which kicks a lot of ass. Yeah. And they actually played most of Brave New World in that set. Um, same thing when I saw them on the Dance of Death tour, Dance of Death, great Iron Maiden record. They played for four or five songs from that record. Yeah. Now, they, they, then they omitted some old ones, but they were touring on, on, on songs, on albums with great songs on them. And you could tell they were fired up about it and they were stoked. And there was a new generation of fans there to see them that were stoked about it too. I was super hyped to hear most of Brave New World, as were all of my friends. Um, this one, you know, they, they're coming through Seattle in September. It's a legacy set. They're playing the hits. You know, that's what it is. So you yeah, kind of like, got to wonder, like, they're not – are they even going to touch this record? I bet you we get one. We'll probably get uh, Writing on the Wall, the single. Yeah, I mean – And it'll be like, like Are they going to play The Parchment? Because – you know, they could play Wrathchild and Aces High and, you know... And, 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 the, and. The Clairvoyant in that time period. And... I don't think I they're going to. I don't see them making that no. kind of substitution. And no. I don't see the fans really wanting that either. And if that's the case, I don't know, if you're going to put out a new album that you're never going to play any of these songs live, but you might as well, like, shorten it up so that each song has a little bit more carries a bit more of the weight and has more significance to it because by putting out an album this long not only do you put out an album that's tough to listen to all the way through but it kind of dilutes the power of any of the songs that are good yeah and i totally agree with that i mean there are some decent tracks and decent moments and there's a lot of songs on there that i think that you know i would love to be able to sit down myself and arrange them and yeah. cut a lot of shit out and be like, let's just cut this out, move this here, and, you know, put it all in a blender, mix it up, and make something that's actually really coherent and cool. Um, but, again, they just – it's it's kind of the same thing with, like, the last Metallica album that they put out, like, in 2016 or whatever it was. There's a few bangers, but there's a lot of really bad lyrics, and there's a lot of, like um, – not that Metallica were ever known as great wordsmiths. But um, they, uh, there's some embarrassing lyrics on this one. And, you know, there's a lot of nine, eight, nine-minute chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga riff songs that go fucking nowhere. And it's like, who wants to listen to this? You know, um, I just don't understand. If you're going to put something out, like have something to say or don't put nothing out. And yeah. maybe there, maybe it's a mandate from the label, like you guys need a new record to tour. You know, you need to have something to tour on so we can make merch and we can make whatever. And they just, you know, they just get in the studio and 
you know, just jam a little bit and kind of put out whatever comes out of the speakers without putting too, too much effort into it. I don't know. This doesn't seem like there was a, this doesn't seem like there was a lot of cohesive songwriting. It doesn't seem like there was a real concept to the record or any form of editing or arranging that went on. Right. It feels like a lot of jamming and hit record. Yeah. It's like they woke up on the morning, they had to send it to the label and were like, Oh yeah, we should arrange some stuff on here. Let's, let's put the synth. We've got, well, we've got two hours. Let's just like literally do one take of playing one note on the synth for every song. Yeah. In a Very, band where we have three top tier guitarists. That's just, yeah. it's, I, I just don't understand. I, there's a lot about this album I don't understand and I never will. And, you know, at least on, I mean, on the last couple albums, I haven't loved from Iron Maiden, like Book of Souls, I didn't love. But there's some, bang, there's some bangers on there. Like there's some of the songs on there that have lots of energy. And that's only a couple of years ago. Um, you know, like, I think there's a song called Speed of Light. that sounds like a new wave of British heavy metal um, song. That's, that's a fantastic one. Still in my playlist. Um, Final Frontier had some really, really cool shit on it. Where, you know, wasn't this one. I mean, I don't think there's a song that I'm going to take with me from this record. It's just a very, very, again, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard, but I will give this the awards, the strangest album I heard in 2021. <laughs> Um, very, very confusing choices, very underwhelming. Um, not yet. I mean, I give Maiden a thumbs up because I fucking love Iron Maiden and they can put on a record like this and I'll still love them. And and I got, I paid way too much money to get concert tickets to go see them in September. I stand by that decision and I can't wait to go see them, but Senjutsu, no, it's not getting a recommendation for me. No, me neither. Hey, maybe we can go, if, if we go see Bruce Dickinson on his spoken word tour, maybe we can heckle him and be like, Bruce, the synth, why? Tell us. <laughs> you know what? I'll ask him. I'll, yeah. if, if, if they do a Q&A thing, I'll put my hand up and say, why do you have that damn synth under all of the songs on, on Senjutsu? I don't understand what purpose it serves other than distract a listener. But... Uh, that should be that should be a fun time because Bruce is doing a spoken word show and I'm quite interested to hear what the heck he's going to talk about because he is an interesting cat. But anyway, um, the hour is getting late. Uh, yep. We have you know gone long, but this is also uh, you know we've broken our promise to lean the podcast out and make it a little more concise. But this is a double feature. Well, it's it's our triumphant return. So exactly. next time it'll be shorter. Yeah, it'll be a little shorter, <laughs> more concise. But yeah. Hey, you know what? It's a double feature. We really wanted to get that Iron Maiden record in. And this is the season finale, for shall we say, of season one of Keepers of the Flame. Uh, we will be back in the coming weeks with the debut episode of season two. Um, and we will try to be more consistent in 2022 going forward, which I think we'll be able to. We're just not going to put pressure on us ourselves to do a record a week. Um, yep. We will try and we will find records that we are interested in. If you guys out there have records that you think we should listen to, please send it to us via the Facebook page. Or if you know us personally, go ahead and send it there. If you are in a band and you wish for us to review your record, we will not guarantee that we will do it. Because honestly, if it's something that we really, really, really dislike, we're not going to go on the internet and slag anybody's music who is just trying to be an up and comer. That's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about musical discussion, um, despite the fact that we kind of beat Iron Maiden up for the past hour and a bit. <laughs> um, you know, uh, 
it's uh, that's not what we're all about. So um, we will uh, be back soon with another episode of Keepers of the Flame. Thank you all for the shout outs to come back and do your, do the podcast again. Thank you all for your positive words over 2021. Thank you all for the support that you gave Greyhawk and for me personally that you gave me during a time when, you know, that idiot shot me in the fucking leg. I really appreciate it. Um, the heavy metal community is amazing and strong and we love you guys and we're glad to be back and we'll see you next time. All right. Nice. No!